Thank you, Simon. Grey Panthers. Is there anybody listening to this now who would like to be addressed as a Grey Panther? Surely not. The Silver Fox, of course. Everyone likes to be called a Silver Fox. There's something slightly sexy about a Silver Fox. But a Grey Panther just sounds weird. I may be wrong. You can let me know. Uh, Coming up on the show this morning, lots of stuff. Uh, We'll be finding out in a minute... Uh, about how virtually every possession Sir Jimmy Savile ever owned is up for sale. You can buy everything, including his string vests and the Jim will fix it chair. Oh, yes. I'll be asking you, what memorabilia do you own? And why did you get it? Did it make you feel closer to that famous person? Is it not a bit weird to collect things from dead people? 08459 455 555. The opening ceremony, did you see it? What did you think of it? Did you enjoy it? It it left me scratching my head. But sometimes I think that's a good thing. 08459 455 555. And I, uh, I've watched more sport in the last two days. I don't like sport. I've watched more sport in the last two days than I've watched in the last ten years. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Although I was watching the women's cycling yesterday. What is it, the periton? Is that, the, is that a word? I don't know. And my wife came in and she said, do you know what? I don't really like women's sport. Uh, and I thought, th- that's odd, but for some reason, women's sport is seen as second class compared to male sport. Why is that? And it was odd for a woman to say that. You can text me this morning, 81333, starting your text 3CR. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Of course, don't forget, you can always give me a call. You get a call. Call 08459 There's a soldier talking. Don't worry, there's a soldier talking over the background of that jingle. I don't know why. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's be honest, it's six minutes past six. We're not going to have many listeners at this time of the day, so I wouldn't worry about it in the slightest. Should we have a little bit of Shaka Khan? Yes. I think that makes an excellent suggestion. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll start properly after this. It's fine. Don't worry. Shaka Khan, I'm every woman. Good morning. It's Monday. It's nearly August, and I only know that because it's my wife's birthday on the 2nd, so I need to pull my finger out. She's done that thing. Oh, I don't want any presents this year. Mm, I've fallen for that before and not got presents. And the look on her face in the morning when you, you go, not got any presents. Okay. No, I've not got you any presents. You you told me not to get you any presents. Oh, and you listened to that, did you? Yes, I did. She, she said it again this year, so I need, obviously, to sort out a present. Any suggestions would be gratefully welcome, because uh, um, it's, it's getting close, and I've literally got no idea. Rattle, rattle, jewellery, jewellery. Hundreds of items belonging to the late Sir Jimmy Savile are going under the hammer this morning. The auction's expected to raise thousands for his favourite good causes. Up for grabs is everything, from his gold lame tracksuit to his pink satin bedspread. A little bit too much information, I think, there. Here's a little reminder uh, of what made him one of our most colourful stars. Welcome. Another edition of Top of the Pops. Lots of nice and ladies about with us this evening. Our lots of nice records we've got. Now then, now then, now then, now then. My goodness gracious, yes indeed, ladies and gentlemen, how about that? We have a letter here. Dear Jimmy, my special thing is that I would have licked to be a dog. <laughs> Music, maestro, if you please. Your letter was only the start. Wow. 
Well, the auction uh, is happening in Sir Jimmy's native Leeds. Our reporter, James Alexander, is there outside the auction room. Good morning, James. <laughs> Hello. You've been having a little sneaky peek at this, haven't you? Yeah, and you won't be surprised to hear the items up for auction are every bit as flamboyant as the man himself. You walk into the sales room here at this glass-fronted conference centre, rather noisy extractor fan you can possibly hear. It's all beautifully laid out. You've got these typically eccentric top-of-the-pops costumes from Carnaby Street, all these bright-coloured caftans and jumpsuits. His trademark tracksuits are all here as well, looking like the inspiration for Team GV's white and gold outfits at the Olympics opening ceremony. Wouldn't it have been great to have seen Sir Jim in the torch relay no gold for great britain yet but plenty of bling here lots of jingle jangle jewelry chunky rings and watches and awards everything right down to sir jimmy's beloved string vest and still with a faint whiff of cigar smoke although i'm told they they have been washed what sort of prices are we talking about here james yeah, the cheaper end, the guy prices start about £30 for one of Sir Jimmy's unsmoked cigars, all the way up to £90,000 for his limited edition Rolls Royce. Possibly the most eye-catching item is the original Jim Will Fix It chair that's part of this collection. Auctioneer Will Richards told me this is a piece of TV history. This is actually used in the first series. It was, I think, black originally, but uh, then it was re-upholstered for the second series in this red, with some buttons in the top of one arm, and the buttons open the arm arms of the chair and out comes on one side a tray where you could have his tea and a cigar and the other side out of the arm came the Jim will fix it badge. Now unfortunately the buttons don't work anymore. The guide price for the chair nonetheless is £15,000. That's a bit out of your price range. There is also an original Jim will fix it badge, the only one Jimmy himself owned. That's got an estimate of £500. What are you going to do with the Jim will fix it chair? Where are you going to put that? I know, it, uh, it would be a great conversation starter in your living room. I suppose they're hoping someone will uh, buy it to do it up and, and maybe put it on display somewhere. It's worth saying, one of the, uh, one of the lots here, um, they, they brought up from Stoke Mandeville his yellow two-seater bubble car that he had stored down there. He had a room there, uh, of course, and, uh, and, and a garage, and he had this rotating orange beacon on top of the car that he had fitted after he was nearly flattened by a lorry, and he once picked up the Duke of Edinburgh in it from Ailes railway station sadly history doesn't record prince philip's reaction uh, and what time does the auction start can anyone bid yeah this starts at 10 30 and anyone can bid you don't need to be here you can bid online there's a website if you google jimmy savile auction it comes up no. hoping to raise more than a quarter of a million pounds um some of that money for stoke mandeville one last big charity fundraiser from sir jimmy savile See, james now you've said you can bid online i wasn't interested at all and now you said it's online i'm kind of thinking well i might have a a little look have over there look. so there's anything anything you fancy james I'll tell you what, there is so much that catches your eye, I can't even begin to go through the list. They're just bizarre. I mean, some of the stuff, it just reeks of Jimmy Savile. You mentioned there the bedspread, actually, with the initials JS sewn on. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, I mean, this would be weird, though, to have that in your house. I don't know how you explain it or what you do with it, but it's brilliant. You know, all these awards and um, all the... It's like Sir Jimmy is here, you know, for one morning, you know, all his stuff has returned. It's like the story of his life, and it is sensational. 
and he, you know, there'll be crowds, there'll be cameras. He would have loved it. James, thank you very much. Our reporter, James Alexander, outside uh, the auction in Leeds, where Sir Jimmy Savile's things would be. So- if your initials are JS, and you could get that sheet, and that that would uh, well, that would work, wouldn't it? It would still be a little bit weird. Monogram things are always, I, th- I, I think, a little bit um, suspicious. Jimmy Savile was, let's be honest, was bonkers, but was wonderful because of it. And he's, we don't have any of those. Um, larger-than-life eccentrics. I think that's the polite way of, of describing him. We don't have any of those anymore, which is a shame. Uh, have you got any memorabilia? Uh, anything that belongs to someone who meant something to you, was famous, uh, and has passed on? I've got... I, I've, I've mentioned this many times. I am obsessed with the monkeys. I've got so much monkeys nonsense in my house, you wouldn't believe it. 08459 455 555. Or you can text me, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Let me know. Uh, are you going to have a bid? on the Jimmy Savile stuff. Uh, and what memorabilia do you own and why do you own it? Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 6.16 on Monday the 30th of July. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Paula Radcliffe says she will take her time in deciding her athletics future after withdrawing from the marathon at the Olympics. The Bedford runner says competing in London was a major goal in her life. Police in High Wycombe are appealing for witnesses after a man was found with head injuries in Castle Street in the early hours of yesterday morning. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton achieved his second win of the season with victory in the Hungarian Grand Prix. They'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment with Steve Weston. And coming up, Team GB have their first medals, a silver in the cycling road race and a bronze in the 400 metres freestyle swimming. We'll find out how the rest of the world's medals are shaping up next. As I spent a lot of Sundays, I always do, uh, listening to um, Jonathan's shows from the week. I don't normally get a chance to listen to his shows in the week, so I listen to a couple on Sunday. Uh, I thoroughly recommend you listen to the Consumer Hour from Wednesday's show when he's talking about the um, phone line that's been cut. It is a gripping ten minutes of radio. It's very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable, but it's a fantastic listen. He's very good, is Jonathan. Uh, Did you watch the uh, opening ceremony um, on Friday evening? I think something like 27 million... No, 27 million pounds is what's spent, but I think about 27 million pound, uh, people watched it. So that's a pound a person. Did you enjoy it? It's, um, it's mainly had a thumbs up. There are some of the um, uh, newspapers, the Daily Mail in particular, online, hated it. They had a very strong uh, article, which caused controversies. Many people branded it a racist article. Uh, it got taken down and reworded very, very quickly. But what did you think of the opening ceremony? Was it money well spent? Did you enjoy it? Or did you think it was utter tosh? I watched it until the athletes came out. And I watched 20 minutes of the athletes. And then it became obvious that it was going to be like another hour and a half before the athletes finished. And I went, well, you know what? It's probably time to go to bed. I think I'll probably go to bed now. I don't need to see this. Uh, But what did you think? 08459. Four double five, five double five. Were you impressed? Did Danny Boyle do a good job? There were bits that left me scratching my head and going, I don't know if I quite understand this. But that's quite, that's a good thing, isn't it? Keeps you thinking. Makes you uh, wonder exactly what's going on. Did it tell the story of, of Britain? Or did you think, as some of the people, uh, some of the papers are saying, it was a load of left-wing nonsense? 08459. Four double five, five double five. I'm keen to get both views on this. Uh, if you were enthused by it, or if you thought it was complete and utter tosh, um, what did you think? I, I, I did think. I, I thought Bond and the Queen was genius. That was brilliant. 
If you didn't see that, go and look at that online. It, that was fantastic. When Bond is going into Buckingham Palace, I see no way. No way. It's the Queen! I was telling my wife, well, it's the Queen and James Bond! And she was like, yeah. I went, yeah, it's the Queen and James Bond. It was brilliant. The bit that, that I, I wasn't so keen on is, is when it was all the kids dancing and they were texting each other and the text messages were flashing up. I thought, oh, that's, that's a little bit... Um, Silly. But what did you think? Did you enjoy it? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can text me, of course. Uh, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. And you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Time now to get the weather with Steve Weston. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Steve, did you see the opening ceremony? Uh, I saw most of it. I'm afraid I fell asleep a bit towards the end. Did, did you fall asleep during Paul McCartney and his blooming Hey Jude again? How did you guess? Yes. Well, what did you think of it? Did you Overall, did you enjoy it or did you um, think it was I nonsense? Overall, it was impressive. I think the most funny bits were Mr Bean, of course, and the Queen paragliding. And I thought the coolest bit was... Beckham belting down the Thames on the speed. He argue. did look cool. Can I say something controversial, Steve? Have a go at that. Can, can I say something controversial? I don't think Mr Bean is funny. Don't you? No, Mr Bean and Faulty Towers uh, both leave me scratching my head going, Huh? I don't get it. Oh, dear. Oh. Have, I, we, f- I, oh, have okay. we fallen out? Do you like The Goon Show? Let's have the weather now with Steve <laughs> Weston. <laughs> you must have heard of The Goon Show. I've heard of it. A bit before your time. I've heard of it, Steve, but I... Ah. I yes. Oh, I can't... Uh, yes, yes, there well, we go. Yes. That's it. Let's right. have the weather. The weather. OK, today, then, starting off dry and bright with some sunshine, and there's the weather forecast from me, Steve Weston. Steve, thank you. For, I know, controversial. I don't like Mr Bean or Fawlty Towers. When Mr Bean came on the Olympics, I thought, oh, time for a cup of tea. I think. I don't want to make a cup of tea. I just don't... I don't get it. It's, oh, so he's an idiot who can't do things. And Fawlty Towers, I just found frustrating. It's just John Cleese shouting. Now, I love Monty Python, and I love John Cleese, but Fawlty Towers... You agree with me, don't you, dear listener? You know I'm speaking sense. 08459 455 555, or you can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Now, after the first two full days of Olympic competition, China tops the medals table, followed by the US and Italy. Team GB is currently in 16th position with a silver and a bronze so far. The road cyclist Lizzie Armitstead won Britain's first medal of the 2012 Games yesterday, a silver in the women's road race, narrowly losing out to Marianne Voss of the Netherlands in the final sprint along the Mall. The route took the cyclists 140 kilometres from London out to Box Hill and Surrey and finishing back in London. Lizzie Armitstead says thousands, the thousands of supporters lining the road had kept her going. I uh, expected that it would be a bigger group for the finish, so I could really hear every single shout and every single effort of the crowd to push me onto the line really made a difference. It was over in a flash, you know, I didn't think about the pain in my legs, so I was just pushed by the crowd all the way to the finish. If you watch that race, it was amazing. It was amazing. I don't understand what the tactics are, though. Everyone was talking about tactics and game plan. Surely it's just you ride fast and win, isn't it? It was a cracking race, though. Yesterday evening, Rebecca Adlington won Britain's second medal of the Games, a bronze in the women's 400 metres freestyle swimming final. Rebecca won two golds in Beijing four years ago, but she was just as happy after winning a medal in front of a home crowd. I'm crying because it's just so overwhelming, the crowd, everything is... 12 years of hard work has gone into that and it was hard, it was hard. And I'm so glad I've got a medal at home games. Not many people can say that. The crowd is just absolutely amazing. This is what I wanted, this is what picks you up, this is what gets us from fourth to third and gets us on that podium and 
I know so many people wanted me to get the gold, and sorry for that bad try. I'm absolute hardest. I'm so pleased with that. And her mum, Kay, says Rebecca's performance went against all the odds. It's not a best event. We all know that. You know, she didn't feel great in the morning. She had a difficult heat. There were difficult circumstances. But you always know with Becky that she's, she's a fighter. She'll battle. She said the crowd were amazing and they really lifted her. So it was just an awesome result for her. Meanwhile, the organisers of the Olympics have defended ticketing arrangements after empty seats were seen at some venues for a second day. In a statement, Locog said most events had been packed to the rafters and any gaps were in areas reserved for Olympic and other sports officials, and that soldiers, students and teachers would be offered the spaces instead. Dame Tessa Jowell is the Shadow Olympics Minister. She says an urgent solution is needed. We have to see a solution to this problem in the next two to three days. I think if it goes on longer than that, then people are going to get really, very angry indeed, and it will do damage to the games. What I would have said is that we don't want any empty seats and I think I uh, would have uh, looked at much greater flexibility and uh, uh, basically a sort of principle that if you're not using your seat then you uh, you lose it and it goes to somebody else. The Olympics Minister Hugh Robertson said the public had been prioritised in the ticketing process and that organisers would try to make sure as many seats as possible were now filled. What, what LOCOG will now be trying to do is to get a more accurate readout from those groups of people over who might need those seats earlier and then return them to the public. But, you know, you will understand from that it is a slightly inexact science. I've totally been enjoying the Olympics more than I thought. I hate sport. And all weekend, I couldn't stop watching it. Speak to you after this, Robbie Williams. Alf has made uh, a very astute observation uh, about the uh, opening ceremony of the Olympics and what was wrong with it. He's texted in, James Bond ruined the start of the Olympics by getting the Queen there 45 minutes late. She missed the best bit, the stuff with the chimneys. He did let the country down, didn't he? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. If you want to talk about the Olympics or anything else that we're talking about this morning, you're more than welcome to... Call 08459 455555. 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Could you give me a call and let me know? What did you think of the opening ceremony? Did you enjoy it or did you think it was a load of old guff? 08459 Now, the government reviewing of those uh, claiming incapacity benefit is taking place. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, went to the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable to meet one of their staff members, Edward Costello. No, she didn't. Let's just have a little look there. Could you move that around for me, please? A little bit of a problem with the old... uh is it, it's either the computer or it's my fat fingers that's doing it. Let's, let's blame it on the computer, shall we? Although I think we, we know where it is. Anyway, Sophie Solari went to the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable to meet one of their staff members, Edward Costello. Um, I've, I've uh, been disabled um, since just after birth. 
Um, I have cerebral palsy, which meant that uh, my legs and that, the muscles wasn't too good. Edward, do you work yourself? Yes, I do, yes. I work here at the Disability Resource Centre. Um, I'm an information and equipment officer. According to the figures, 7% of the UK's workforce aren't working due to being ill. Do you believe that figure? Because it's quite high. It does seem quite high, but I do know that a lot of people that are disabled do find it hard to get work. Do you think that some of those perhaps are not as ill as they're saying they are, i.e. faking? I mean, I don't know really. I mean, you can't really judge everybody um, under the same banner. But as I say, um, it is very difficult when you have a disability to find work, um, and even when you meet employers, they, they have the thing in their mind that because you're disabled, you'll have a lot of time off sick and so on. How do you feel when you hear that people cheat the system? Well, it, it annoys me if they are cheating the system because there are a lot of people that are generally working that are disabled and uh, it gives everybody, of course, a bad name. The government are now looking at reassessing. Do you think that's fair to reassess everybody? As long as it's done fairly, of course. Um, but, of course, um, those that are then deemed to be fit for work need the support and help which hopefully the Disabled Resource Centre will be able to, to help with. We can give them advice and hopefully we're, we're, we're trying to run for a scheme um, from the DWP about uh, getting people back into work. Because obviously if you've been off sick for quite a while and you are genuinely ill, it can be very daunting to uh, have to start looking for work. And, and, you know, you need to go through the process of preparing for work and how to look for work. You know, it's about training. Um, I think also employers need to be talked to about how they can take on disabled people. Of course, because employers may not necessarily want to in case they go on long-term sick, for example. Yeah, I mean, the perception is, of course, disabled people do have more time off sick, but I don't know whether or not that's actually true. Uh, I used to work for... Um, a shelter workshop and uh, it was the lowest um, in, in the county for sickness. Do you think for some people is a, a psychological issue they're frightened to go to work if they're not well? I know that I got married redundant last year and uh, I was obviously looking for work and um, I got very depressed quite quickly it surprised me actually um, because you know the market's changed since I last looked for a job and um, obviously I, I had to look for training and so on. How's the current system? Have you been through it yourself? Is it quite easy? Personally, myself, I've never claimed that, so I don't really know how easy it is. So you've never had to claim any form of disability allowance or anything from the government? I've only ever in claimed income support. So that's a real message to people that are actually claiming them and aren't entitled to them. That's a message to everybody. Yeah, um, I think the government should be doing more about working with employers to um, get a further system for people when they go for an interview. We'll be finding out uh, more about that later on. If that affects you in any way, uh, can you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 6.45. These are your headlines this morning on Monday the 30th of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Paula Radcliffe says she will take her time in deciding her athletics future after withdrawing from the marathon at the Olympics. The Bedford runner says competing in London was a major goal in her life. Police in High Wycombe are appealing for witnesses after a man was found with head injuries in Castle Street in the early hours of yesterday morning. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton achieved his second win of the season with victory in the Hungarian Grand Prix. And your weather across beds, huts and bucks. A dry start with some sunshine, but developing cloud will bring the risk of a few showers. Maximum temperature, 19 degrees Celsius. And coming up, locks have had to be... This is incredible. Locks have had to be changed at Wembley Stadium after a set of special keys have gone missing. Our reporter joins us next with the latest. Now, Roberto makes a good point there, that, that streakers are a thing of the... But when was the last time you saw a streaker? It doesn't happen anymore. We used to be great at that. We need some streaking in the Olympics. Obviously, I'm not allowed to encourage it as I work BBC, but, you know, if you were to do it, that would be awesome. It's emerged that a set of keys being used by police to secure Wembley Stadium, the keys to Wembley Stadium, have disappeared. Officials say locks at the venue have had to be changed, but security has not been put at risk. Meanwhile, Team GB has been celebrating winning its first medals of the London Games. Our Olympics reporter, Jane Prendergast, is here. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. Missing keys, the keys to Wembley Stadium. What do we know about this? Yeah, I don't think it's like a big key to a lock on a gate or something. Oh, okay. It's um, internal keys that went missing. They were reported missing last Tuesday. Of course, Wembley hosting nine football matches across uh, the course of the Olympics, and they were being used by officers to search the venue. Um, they couldn't find them. They called in. There's a specialist police team you can call in to try and locate keys, apparently, but even they couldn't find them, so the locks had to be changed. The cost of this has not been disclosed, but it's likely to run into tens of thousands what? of pounds it's been reported um yes yeah, so that, that gives you an idea of how many doors may have been involved um apparently locog said security um hadn't been compromised in any way but uh, while it's not a serious breach of security it is an embarrassing security blunder that's a lot of doors being uh, one of those people that a locksmith is a license to print money i've lost my keys before and they come around it's 150 quid to open your front door it's incredible there's uh, someone in wembley who's very happy very happy jane uh, importantly for team there are some medals to celebrate, aren't there? There are, of course. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we saw a silver in the women's cycling road race. Lizzie Armistead crossed the line behind Marion Vos of Holland, um, of, who, of course, took the gold. And uh, it was incredibly close at the end. It was absolutely pouring down with rain through some of that race. Um, a very courageous performance from her. And you could hear the crowd shouting, Lizzie, Lizzie, as you know, she came home banging the hoardings. Um, and it had been a race that was punctuated by punctures and pile-ups. So um, a great achievement for her with the silver and last night in the aquatic center rebecca adlington won the bronze medal in the 400 meters freestyle in the pool of course she won gold in this event in beijing but she began as the slowest qualifier she was in lane eight it's always difficult to compete from lane eight um, and she put in an incredibly gutsy performance and was delighted to have won a medal in front of her home crowd and also i heard that she swam faster than she did when she won the gold so it was a better time it was an incredible race I know, but people always talk about this. They say, well, you know, she won bronze, but she'd won gold before. But the world moves on, people yep. get faster, everyone gets a little bit faster in, in four years, maybe. That's how times improve. And we've seen a couple of um, world records and Olympic records already broken in the pool um, at, at this stage of the competition. Moving on to Paula Radcliffe, she won't be taking part in the Games anymore. What has she said? 
No, that was um, an announcement yesterday. There had been a lot of speculation over the weekend that she was going to have to pull out. Um, I think it was about half past three yesterday. We got confirmation from Paula herself that um, because of a foot injury, her Olympic dream is over. She said, um, it hurts so much to finally admit to myself that it isn't going to happen. But she said that she was finally closing the door on her dream, knowing she'd tried everything possible and that she wanted, she didn't want to take up the place, knowing she had an injury, she wanted to give it to someone who could make better use of it. So very sad news for Paula Radcliffe. And the issue of empty seats, this is, um, was, was in the news a lot yesterday. It's not going away quickly, is it? Well, no. I mean, they are addressing it. Apparently, Lord Coe said yesterday that, you know, in the main, the um, venues are packed to the gunnels. But, of course, people do keep seeing pictures on the television uh, at the Aquatic Centre, at the gymnastics, uh, pictures of empty seating. And it is galling for people who have bid for tickets, want to see a little bit of Olympic action, think of an event is sold out, and then see, you know, in some cases, rows of empty seats. Now, yesterday they were saying they were going to draft in the army to fill some of these seats. But um, that... That kind of seems to be missing the point. But, I mean, the point is that people at home wanted to see these events and wanted to fill the seats. Some of them are in accredited areas, so you already have to have an accreditation around your neck before you can even get access to them. So, although Lord Coe said he doesn't think this is something that's going to carry on through the Games, these are heats that people aren't maybe turning up to see. He thinks as the, the Games progresses, um, the seats will continue to be filled more and more. It is an issue at the moment when uh, people... People still feel a bit li- bit misled by events that are meant to be sold out. Jane Prendergast, our Olympics reporter, thanks very much. And we'll be talking to uh, Andrew Bagley later on and getting a little bit more uh, information about that. Surely, if those are corporate seats that people haven't bothered turning up, shouldn't they name and shame the people and the companies that have done it? That would make sense. I'd have those tickets. I'd go and have those. T- I'd go and watch a heat of the swimming if there were empty seats. Of course, what they should have, they should have a little booth out the front of the of the stadium or the swimming pool or wherever it is uh and 30 minutes before the the the, uh, the the event if the people haven't turned up they should have a big list of all those companies that didn't bother to use their free tickets and then sell the spare tickets 20 quid a pop i'd be there i'd have some of that That'd be fantastic oh eight four five nine four double five five double five now we were arguing about what is the best tom jones song 81333 3CR. What do you think is the best Tom Jones song? So we saw we were going to be playing this song, and the production team and I started discussing what was the best Tom Jones song. It's not this one. This one's good. This isn't the best, but it's good. The majority of people here seem to think What's New Pussycat is the best, and I would go along with that. I think that's an excellent song. We have a suggestion of Help Yourself. It's not that silly one he does with those, um, the, the, the art of noise, Kiss. Was that, was that one? That was one, wasn't it? That wasn't very good. 81333, start your text, 3CR. Today we will establish what is the best Tom Jones song of all time. It's not, um, what's the one where he kills that person? Delilah. Is that Delilah? He kills someone. Yeah, that's not nice. And then, of course, the follow-up to Delilah was the green, green grass of home where he's going off to be hung, stroke hanged for it. Those two aren't very nice. Uh, we've had some text. We're asking about memorabilia. Uh, everything Jimmy Savile ever owned, including his string vests, is up for sale. And you can go online and bid today. I think it's about half past ten. And we were asking, what memorabilia do you have? Angela's got a very odd one. Angela has texted in, I own the first signed copy of Philip Schofield's only ever top 40 hit from Joseph. That's an odd one to have. That's very, very niche. I don't think there's going to be much resale value on eBay. 
And Nick in Hitchin is, um, is confused, I think, is, is the polite way of, uh, of putting it, with something I've said. Ian, what a peculiar thing to say, that you hate sport. It's like saying you hate food or hate music. There are so many different sorts of sport, how can you hate all of them? Well, I do. I find it tedious, really. Um, I sort of like... Uh, I don't mind snooker or darts, but then you can't really class those as sports. You can't class darts as, as a sport, can you? It's just a man standing there, you know, throwing things and then drinking beer. But what I was saying was, I, I don't like sport, but I have found myself this weekend being sucked in to the whole Olympic atmosphere and I've watched more sport in the last two days than I've watched in the last five or ten years, easily. I watched most of the women's, um, is it the peloton, is that what it's called, race? I didn't understand it. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I didn't understand it. Why were, the, why were they all at the back? It's all to do with wind resistance, isn't it, and um, slipstreams and stuff, but if you're so far at the back, why don't you just either ride faster or give up? I couldn't understand it. I thought it was very exciting. I absolutely loved it. My little boy was really into it. Uh, and I watched some swimming. Um, and I watched um, some tennis. I didn't get the doubles in tennis either. It was Andy Murray and another Murray, who I'm assuming is his brother, but it might not be. I don't know. I'm assuming it's his brother. And after every shot, they would, like, talk. And Andy Murray, it was like he was at school. He would put his hand over his mouth and they would um, discuss tactics. What tactics are there in tennis? Surely the tactic is, right, try and make it so they miss the ball and we get a point. That's the only tactic you can discuss, isn't it? Am I missing something here? Am I missing some of the intricacies of uh, tennis? How can you discuss tactics? It's just, you know, just uh, get get the ball so they can't hit it, then they miss it, then we get a point. That's it. But I I don't like sport, but I have thoroughly enjoyed um, this weekend of Olympic action. Really, much more so than I thought. And boy, oh boy, the red button. You can choose what sport you watch. It's amazing. 08459 455555. The memorabilia argument has just gone up a notch. On Twitter, Scott Balcony says, My brother's wife has John Entwistle's ring. It has a cocktail glass on it. Sorry, you don't know who John Entwistle is? Oh, dear. Thank you very much, Simon. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. And we've got lots of new listeners uh, this morning, because uh, for those of you who missed the last Morning MK show on Friday, that show's been merged with this breakfast show. So we welcome everybody listening uh, on 104.5 FM. Good morning. Uh, it's nearly four minutes past seven. It's Monday. My brain is almost kind of up to speed and is almost in gear. Eh, not quite. In this hour... We'll be talking more about the memorabilia that you've bought after uh, Jimmy Savile's... Everything Jimmy Savile ever owned is going on sale today. That's right, you can own his uh, Jim will fix it chair. Why would you want it? I don't know. But I bet it goes for an absolute fortune. His cigars and his string vest are all up for sale. So I'm asking, what memorabilia do you own? So far... We've got a signed record by um, Philip Schofield and John Entwistle's ring. He was the bass player in The Who. Come on, you should know that. Uh, We're trying to find the best Tom Jones song. Talking uh, about the diving that's taking place later on today. And we'll have more on that story about the empty seats at the Olympics. What do you think should be done with them? Should we give them away? Should we sell them? I reckon we should name and shame those companies that don't bother using them and then sell them for 20 quid out the front. 08459 455 555. And what did you think 
of the opening ceremony. Was it amazing? Were you left in awe? Or did you think it was a load of old nonsense? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The men's 10-metre synchronised diving final takes place this afternoon. That's where two fellas uh, jump up. This is the technical d- definition of it. Two fellas jump off the board and do tricks at exactly the same time. There you go. Uh, Tom Daly and Pete Waterfield are the Team GB pair who are hopeful of having medals put round their necks today if the judges like the cut of their jib. Well, one lady from Milton Keynes will be judging the judges. Melanie Beck is the chairman of the British Diving Technical Committee. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning. What, what exactly does your job title mean? Okay, well, I'm actually here as the, uh, the world governing body. I sit on the, uh, the FINA, which is the World Governing Body Technical Diving Committee, and it is our job to uh, run the competition and evaluate the judges. So how do you evaluate the judges? What, 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 are you making sure that they're not showing any bias or that they're spotting the right things? How does that work? Uh, we sit alongside them and we judge what they're judging and um, they have to come within a point of us. And if, can you override them if you want? Uh, no, afterwards we go into a room and if there's a judge that has um, been slightly off off the rest of the pack or um, has shown a continued uh, pattern of being out of the pack, then we will ask them, you know, what they saw. Mm. Uh, we will review some video that we have running. Although we don't use video playback in, in judging, we will review a dive just so that everybody can see what happened. And, and, and we just evaluate the whole dive. Now, Tom and Pete are diving uh, uh, today. What should we be looking for when they when they make their dive? Um, their approach to the board. I mean, uh, they were looking good yesterday in training. They were um, uh, they're looking uh, very good in terms of peaking at the right time. Mm. Uh, but what we should be looking for is complete synchronisation. So that's from the point at which the whistle is blown when they leave the board in terms of height. Uh, in terms of the uh, position that they make in the air and the entry into the water. They have to be in total synchronisation. Stuff like this I just find amazing, because I'm I'm so physically inept and clumsy. The the, the thought of two people doing something as skillful and as difficult as this at exactly the same time, it strikes me as incredible. Is Is there a chance of a medal today with these two? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's a strong field. There are eight teams and of the eight teams there's probably five of them that are going to be battling it out for the the top spots um but pete and tom have uh every chance for the medal uh, and a gold one are they, are they, are they good enough I, it, it's something i know very little about so uh, are they good enough to get a gold they are good enough to get a gold their biggest their biggest issue will be as always the chinese um, who are the leaders. Mm. They're, they're absolutely amazing. Uh, they're world-class. They, they win every single event. But I'm hopeful with home advantage, let's get behind them and cheer, and with home advantage that they will indeed uh, make it happen today. The young lady that got the bronze yesterday, she was like, oh, I'm really sorry I only got a bronze. You got a bronze at the Olympics? That's amazing! 
yeah, I mean, just, I think anybody who gets the opportunity to go to the Olympics, I was lucky enough on Friday night to go to the opening ceremony. Wow. The, the atmosphere is incredible. Team GB's uh, atmosphere in their home in the village is amazing when you go in there. It's just electric. And obviously last night with Becky winning a medal, um, that's just set the team off. What did you make of the opening ceremony? We're asking people what they thought of it because it, it, it generally got a thumbs up, although there were some disparaging comments online in, in some of the papers at the weekend. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, it, I was with a group of 15 people from across the world. So, you know, I'm not sure in the beginning that they got the whole Hamlet thing and then the move into the Industrial Revolution. Mm. But in terms of a spectacle mm. and the noise in the stadium and the vibration through the stadium, it was incredible well, there, really there were bits that left me scratching my head but i enjoyed those as well i thought that the bond and the uh, bond and the queen was just Hilarious. wasn't it wonderful imagine making that phone call hello yeah my name's danny i'm making a short film can we have the queen in it please yeah, just, and fair play to her you know what fair play that's what everybody in the stadium was going that she yeah. not only went with it she did it she wore the same dress <laughs> and apparently he's he's apparently said that she was so easy to work with she was fantastic i thought this yeah. when she because i thought then when it's going to be Jeanette Charles or an impersonator. It won't be her. And then she turned around. Yes, Mr. Bond. Fantastic. Yeah. What time is um, is the dive today with uh, Tom and Pete? We're on at three o'clock this afternoon. So you know, go on, boys. They can do it. I'm sure of it. Uh, Melanie, listen. Thank you very much. No doubt we'll speak to you again at some point, perhaps after this. That's Melanie Beck there, the chair, uh, chairman of the British Diving Technical Committee, who will be judging the judges of the diving competitions at the London Olympics. Speaking to us ahead of the meter, uh, the men's ten meter synchronised diving final, which takes place this afternoon. I love the synchronised events. I am so clumsy, as you will have noticed this morning if you've been paying any, even the slightest bit of attention. Uh, so t- to be doing something as skillful and as difficult as that. At the same time as someone else, it's just incredible, isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You heard Melanie's views there on the, the opening ceremony. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? Uh, there was some stuff in some of the papers and online saying it was uh, a load of left wing nonsense. There was a bit of that. Uh, I didn't d- d- notice any political, real political bias in there. You could argue that perhaps the NHS bit was, was um, you know, the, the, the two-fingered salute to David Cameron. I don't know. I just enjoyed it for the spectacle that it was. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five five double five is the telephone number. Give us your views on that. Now, are you heading into London for work today? It's the first day that commuters from the three counties will travel into London after the official opening of the Olympic Games. Network Rail say that the busiest hotspot will be London Bridge Station as spectators travel to the equestrian event in Greenwich Park. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been talking to commuters to see how their journey is going so far. So Dominic, you're travelling to Tower Bridge this morning. Are you dreading this journey? Not dreading it yet. Um, first day, hopefully it'll be alright. Um, tomorrow we'll see. Might take a rain check and work from our Luton office if necessary. I was going to say, because people are being advised to have backup plans, that is your backup plan. If you can't get into London, you have an office here in Luton which is very handy for you, isn't it? It is fairly handy. We've got one in Milton Keynes as well, but that's not so handy, perhaps. Um, That said, we sort of require our staff to be in the office if possible. I work for an accountancy firm, and uh, we need chargeable hours. And all in all, over the weekend, have you enjoyed what you've seen so far? Yeah, fantastic. Not so good on the medal front, but an enjoyable spectacle. It'll come, Dominic, don't worry. It will come, it will come. Hopefully some local uh, people will get medals. 
So, Jill, our listeners can probably hear from the announcements behind. We've just got on the train. It's the 6.43. Are you worried about this week, especially today being the first day of the Olympics, travelling into London? Not particularly. Um, just hoping it's all a lot of fuss about nothing. We can only hope so. So what about your backup plan? Anything in place just in case you can't get into London? Yes, our company have allowed us to work at home. We'll come in early, work later, whatever we need to do. But they said to you, yes, that is a backup, but it is still quite essential that you travel into London. We need you here. Um, no, not particularly. It depends on your role in the, within the company. But for me, no, I could work from home if I needed to. And some people, of course, moaning about the Olympics still. Are you quite passionate about the Games, to be honest? No, I think it's quite nice to have it, although I'm not that concerned about going and being present at an event or anything, but um, I think it's quite kudos for the country, really. Now, Andy, it's a big family event out for you today. You're on the train into London. You're about to go and see the judo. You're from Manchester, so explain your travel plans. How are you here today? Um, Well, we came down from Manchester yesterday um, by car. We stayed at my sister-in-law's house. And then we've just got up early this morning. We've been getting it into the train and then get the tube straight over to XL. And the message is, get there as early as possible. Looking around the train already, it's very, very busy, isn't it? There's loads of people. You can see the flags already on people on the station. So I think everybody's had the same idea. And just how passionate do you feel? Because this is a real family day out for you right now. How excited do you feel? You're about to go into the capital. You're about to, to watch the Jude out London 2012. You must be incredibly excited. Well, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. We want to see the games. We want to savour every moment of it. Might not ever happen again. Certainly probably won't happen again in my lifetime. Um, here's the thing. I don't feel any particular pride or bias towards Team GB. I kind of want them to do well. Right. But I don't, I don't feel... I, when I was watching the cycling yesterday, it didn't make it any more exciting that there was a, a, a British rider in the top three. I just enjoyed the, the, the spectacle of these people riding really, really fast through London in the rain. Um, oh, here we go. We've got a, two conflicting texts on the opening ceremony. Richard in Flitic says, Opening ceremony, superb, cool, entertaining and humorous. Then he says the best Tom Jones song is Sex Bomb. <laughs> no, it's not. That's, I always find that one a little bit creepy. Uh, and Dave says, Of the five minutes of the opening ceremony I saw, as I was at a friend's house, I couldn't believe what rubbish it was. How could we put that pile of tosh out to the world? I left my friends early, so I didn't have to watch any more. Controversial. What do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, it generally got the thumbs up. Um, I, I, I follow the Fonz on Twitter, Henry Winkler, and he gave it a big thumbs up, so that's, he, he knows what cool is. So that's got to be something. 08459 455 555. And uh, Cynthia in High Wycombe says the best Tom Jones song is The Green Green Grass of Home. It, it's about a man who's about to be hanged. It, it, it's, not the, it's not the most joyous, uplifting song is it oh eight four five nine four double five five double five you can text eight one three double three start your text three cr or you can email three cr at bbc.co.uk beds hearts and bugs news bbc three counties radio it's monday july the 30th it's seven sixteen. here are your headlines this morning on bbc three counties radio Paula Radcliffe says she will take her time in deciding her athletics future after withdrawing from the marathon at the Olympics. The Bedford runner says competing in London was a major goal in her life. Police in High Wycombe are appealing for witnesses after a man was found with head injuries in Castle Street in the early hours of yesterday morning. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton achieved his second win of the season with victory in the Hungarian Grand Prix. We'll have a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes. We'll also have weather with Steve Weston in a few minutes. Uh, Coming up tonight, 
Panorama investigates government plans to get people off disability benefit. Next, we speak to a woman from Buckinghamshire who had to fight to keep her benefits after she was deemed fit to work. Incapacity benefit is costing tax- taxpayers roughly £13 billion a year. One pound out of every three that the government spends goes on welfare benefits and nearly 7% of the UK's workforce is currently deemed too ill to work. Tonight, Panorama investigates the government's plans to end the so-called sick note culture and their attempts to get millions of people off disability benefits and into work. Helen Searle from Beaconsfield had to fight to save her benefits after the government deemed her fit to work. Good morning, Helen. Morning. Helen, what's been your experience of the assessment system? Um, It's been very stressful. I filled out the ESA 50 form, which is the form they now give you for employment support allowance, and I was put into the work-related activity group and saying that I was fit to do some kind of activity. But that decision was made without a medical being done. But they didn't do a medical? No. So how did they come to that conclusion? Uh, they used the paperwork that I'd filled in, right. but they'd completely ignored what was on there. Because when I got a copy of the medical report that had been written, they said that I could mobilise 50 metres one I can't and they I also have epilepsy there was no mention of that at all I Helen sorry can you can you describe your disability how, how does it affect you I've got cerebral palsy right that affects both of my legs so I have difficulty in walking I can manage walking around in the house because I hold onto all the furniture but outside I use I use a wheelchair but I need help being pushed in that wheelchair um, I can get a lot of pain and fatigue I'm on quite a bit of medication for that. Do you think that you could work, Helen? I used to work, and I've had to give up work as my health deteriorated, so I don't think I could actually manage to go back to work now. How much sympathy do you have for the government who are trying to save money by reducing the benefits bill? I don't have any sympathy for them at all. Really? I think that I think they're targeting the most vulnerable group, and say because they're not because the assessments aren't being done properly and, you know, there was mistakes in all of my um, paperwork. I appealed the decision. Um, When I got the appeal papers through and read the result, um, they'd actually lied and said I attended a medical. Wow. That's incredible. They they lied about that. They said that I told a healthcare professional what my day-to-day life was like. And I was kind of, how can I have told you when I wasn't there? (laughs) But you'd, you'd admit that there are people out there that are swinging the lead, the, the chances that are kind of uh, exploiting the system. And, and I guess they need to be stopped, don't they? Is um, this not the way to do it? They need to be stopped, but I think they've got away with it on incapacity benefit. They've learned how to play the system. Yeah. And it's the genuine people that are currently suffering in the assessment process at the moment. Mm, it is. Uh, my mum, my mum's on incapacity benefit, on one of those benefits. They keep changing. I'm never quite sure which which one she's on, and she had to go for a physical every year. And my mum, you know, she can't walk. She she's got tremors and stuff like that, and she would still go for the the physical. And she every year she'd say, "Do you think I should put it on a bit?" I said, "Mum, you don't need to. You can't walk." You know, and, and there's a real kind of fi- she had a real fear, even though she's you know she's very ill with MS. She had a real fear that it was going to get taken away because she was dependent on that to give her some quality of life. Uh, you, your benefit is sorted out now, Helen, and, and that. Do you, do you think the assessment system works? It's sorted out now, but I've been told I will be reassessed probably in about three or four months. Wow. Uh, my benefit was only sorted out. It went to tribunal in the end, and the tribunal ruled in my favour within about two or three minutes. Why do they need to do it again in a few months? 
because the government are saying they're going to assess everybody on a regular basis. Helen, uh, it's a fascinating story. Thank you very much. I'm sure there's this uh, progressive will speak to you uh, even more. That's he- Helen Sell from Beaconsfield, who had to fight to save her benefits after the government deemed her fit to work. If you've had one of those assessments, 08459 455 555, maybe you've, you've been uh, claiming benefits uh, and your benefits have been stopped. How do you feel about that? Uh, have you fought it or have you kind of gone, oh, well, you know what, fair play. Perhaps I, I could be a little bit more active. 08459 455 555. An urgent investigation has been launched after Olympic fans expressed disappointment at the sight of rows of empty seats on the first day of the London 2012 uh, Olympic Games. Stephen Bagley from Milton Keynes, whose brother Andrew is in the Team GB table tennis squad, was at the Excel Centre watching the table tennis yesterday. He's on the line now. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Stephen, was it full when you were there? Well, it was, I would say, 70 or 80% full. Um, I think there's probably about, you know, 20% of seats missing. Um, let's, let's get it straight. It was a fantastic atmosphere. And, yeah. and, and the people who were, who were there supporting, basically, Team GB were fantastic, unbelievable, wanting to be educated about table tennis, because obviously not everyone understands table tennis, and that's not, you know, something, you know, something against people. They obviously need to understand the sport, and they were really wanting to learn. Um, so, but, you know, clearly there were seats available, and that's um, a little bit hurtful for people who, you know, really need the tickets. And did it look like they were the, the, the posh seats, the, the, the corporate seats? Clearly, clearly yeah. they were. Um, clearly they were. And um, that's, that's really a shame. I mean, just to give you a little perspective from an athlete's point of view, mm. um, as an athlete, and I could only speak for obviously for the table tennis here, um, Andrew, my brother, who's, who's obviously competing, gets two tickets allocated um, for the first session he actually plays. After that, even as an athlete, he has to then buy tickets. Now, bearing in mind that the draw has only just been made, mm. when we, as a family or friends of Andrew, need to then go and buy tickets, they're probably all sold out, and they have been. Now, that's really sad for an athlete who's trained all their life, and this is, this is again, from an athlete's perspective, we actually can't get tickets. So Andrew can get two for the first session he plays. After that, he gets given two. He must buy them, but we must then pay for the rest. So when we see 20 or 30% of the stage actually not full you know it's, it's it's rather sad actually what do you think should be done firstly with the empty seats and secondly with the people that aren't using those seats that haven't bothered to turn up i mean I, I believe there has to be some sort of um you know etiquette with it almost um basically i think you, you should have an understanding if, you, if you're giving it as a corporate you should almost hand it back i think this should, this should be some sort of you know, uh, way of actually giving them away almost um, and leaving them at the desk, uh, at the box office for people to pick up, even if they're, again, to make some money out of it, but whatever. Um, you know, you've really got to give those back and have some, some you know, th- a thought behind it that people are missing out. Genuine fans, genuine athletes, family members are missing out there because, you know, clearly these, these tickets have probably been allocated to the, the big sponsors, um, which, which is, a, is, a, is a big shame. How's Andrew getting on? Um... Andrew Andrew starts um, his first Team GB match on the third, so obviously he's still um, obviously at the Olympics and he's um, he's training with with the squad. So their their first match is on. As I said, the draw's only just been made. They they play Portugal on Friday the third of August at seven o'clock. Um, so obviously he's raring to go now, and he's desperate to get out of the blocks and start playing because obviously he's been there before the opening ceremony. It's quite a long time. Is he um, nervous? He must be nervous. 
No, he's not. He's just really? desperate to play now. Yeah. He's desperate to play because obviously they're all, you know, they're all in the village the whole time. They don't, they do know what's going on outside. Um, and, but, you know, you can clearly see it when Andrew literally goes out of the, the village bit and goes in to see me, for example. I mean, the amount of attention they get uh, is, is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, he's having, having the time of his life. Uh, it's an amazing experience as, as an athlete, but also, as we know, as, you know, to go down and watch it. You know, saying all that stuff with, with the tickets, you know, I'd still advise everyone if they got a chance to go and watch London 2012 just to get down there. Uh, and finally, Stephen, there's a rumour that we're getting through on, on, on the news today that at the closing ceremony, the Bagley Brothers Band are going to be playing. Is, is there any truth in that? Um, that's the first I've heard about it, but obviously, you know... <laughs> you're, um, in a, you're in a band with him, are you? I'm in a band with him. I'm in a band. I don't know how that's spreading, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we, yeah, our, our second love is music, um, and, um, you know, that's something we do to, to get our mind off it, but that's not supposed to come out on BBC Three Counties, <laughs> and, I but I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure one day, you know, everything we do as an athlete, we, we take everything seriously, so we yes. want to do everything as well as we can, but, it's, uh, you know, we're concentrating on the Olympic okay. sport table tennis at this moment, and, uh, our focus is going to be thoroughly on that at the moment. Win a few medals, then get in the studio and get some tracks down, Stephen. Listen, lovely to talk to you, best of luck to your brother, thank you very much. Steve, Steve, uh, Stephen Bagley there, from Mont Keynes, whose brother Andrew is in the Team GB table tennis squad. Table tennis is another one of those sports that you kind of think, uh, but then you watch it and it's fantastic. It's so skillful. The speed and the accuracy with which they do it. Because you, you think of like ping pong down the youth centre. Do they still have youth centres? I don't know. But that's, you know, that's kind of what I imagine. But when you see proper table tennis players really going for it, it's amazing. Just incredible. Uh, Joe in Letchworth on the text says, empty seats should be given to the people free. Uh, and David Lipton says, the opening of the Olympics and all the games, waste of millions of pounds by this government. I, I would Do you know what? Six months, even six months ago, I would probably have agreed with that. I've been swung. Since I saw the Olympic torch in Luton, uh, I, I've been swung. Uh, and the opening ceremony I, I enjoyed, for the most part. There were some bits I thought were a bit silly. 08459 455 555. What do you think should be done? with these uh, empty seats that we're hearing more and more of. Uh, and what did you make of the opening ceremony? Any good? Or a load of old nonsense? On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. I have been um, uh, bullied, I think I can say on Twitter, because I dared to, to mention earlier on that I don't like Mr Bean or faulty towers. I find them. I think the problem with them is I find them very frustrating. Right, faulty towers. It's just John Cleese who is brilliant, but it's just him running around shouting. You kind of think, well, if you just sat down and spoke to your wife, uh, then you could sort the problem out and it would all be fine. And Mr. Bean, it's just, oh, it's just. What's funny about pulling silly faces? Oh, oh, turkey. I just don't get it. Uh, and someone has reminded me on Twitter. Uh, of course, they don't get only fools and horses. I know it's blasphemy to say. I don't like it. It's uh, I, it's it, it's not funny, you plonker. Yeah, all right. You know, I, and I'm sorry. People are going to hate me for this. They'll be switching off their radios in droves. Hey, I was in a program called The Persuasionist, one of the worst sitcoms of all time. Apparently, I quite liked it. So, what what right have I got to say about anything? But if you disagree with me, you can text me eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. I'm really keen to get some phone calls this morning from people uh, getting your view on the opening ceremony. £27 million and 27 million people watched it in the UK. I would say it's worth a quid. Definitely worth a quid. 
But what did you think? Did you enjoy it? Did you wonder at the spectacle? Or did you think it was a load of old tosh? 08459 555 is the telephone number. Today is the first day that commuters from the three counties travel into London after the official opening of the Olympic Games. There'll be several major pinch points as spectators clash with commuters. Network Rail say that when they say clash, it's not actually going to be a physical clash. It's just, you know, there'll be lots of them in the same place. There won't be any fighting, I hope. Network Rail say that the busiest hotspot will be London Bridge Station as spectators travel to the equestrian event in Greenwich Park. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been talking to commuters this morning. Well, now St Albans train station. Neil, you're going into the capital and you've got to get into London, haven't you, really? Tell us why that is. Uh, I've got to be able to support other people working from home who can't get into London remotely uh, in order for them to be able to work from home. So your backup plan this morning was get here and get here as early as possible. Yeah, it sounds like I should get a little bit earlier, but yes, get here as early as possible. Are you worried about the next two weeks? Are you worried that, that you won't be able to get into work and your life's going to be seriously affected by the Games? Uh, not particularly, no, because worst case, I do have the option from working from home and they can divert the phones to me mm. and then I can support those people working remotely. And how quickly did you have these conversations? Obviously, we knew about the game seven years ago, but when did you sit down and start working out these backup plans? Well, we work for a number of companies. Um, We work for a number of different companies, and for NHS and for legal companies and for a few other kind of vertical markets as well. And I suppose these conversations started for the majority of customers probably about three or four months ago, Mm. but some NHS customers, like, two or three weeks. I'm now here with Margaret. Margaret, you got your flags about to get on a train. Tell us what you're doing today. Today we're going to see the swimming at um, the Aqua Centre in um, Olympic Park and we've got um, the men's freestyle and women's medley and we've got uh, uh, three Brits in there so I've got my flag. <laughs> They'll be um, cheering on the Brits. Um, that's it really. Yeah. Really looking forward to it because I haven't seen the swimming. I've only seen it on the television and it's very exciting to be there be part of something which is worldwide. A lot of people have got concerns about the transport but you saw the Badminton on Saturday, so you went into London. Any problems at all on Saturday? No problems at all. The trains went on time. Um, there was no uh, the crowd. A few crowd. You know, the crowd was quite big, but everything was well organised. Um, there's, there's a lot of staff there. If you had a problem. Um, it was fine. It was really, really fine. Our session overran, but it was fine. We waited a little bit, and then we went in. But I said it was very well organised, very well planned. Security, fine. Just put your bag through. Don't take liquids, just like at the airport. Um, but you can take an empty bottle, and they can fill it up for you with water. OK, and just lastly, today, of course, a bit of a different day. It's uh, a Monday morning. People are going into London to work. We can see people all around us going into work. Do you think our transport network can cope with London 2012? 100%. 100%. Um, no problem. This is the commuting um, line at the moment we're getting a train on time no problems at all now eileen you're about to go into london you're all dressed up in your olympic outfit tell us what you're doing in london i'm a wayfinder uh team member and i'm telling people where to go when they get off the train um so that everyone makes sure we get them all going in the right direction and they get to the right gate where they want to be and i presume you're a volunteer for this yes i am yeah so what made you want to get involved in london 2012 well it's just fantastic isn't it how amazing the the Olympics arriving in London, um, you know, we've waited forever for it, and I won't see it again, probably. I wish people could see your smile right now. You're grinning like a Cheshire yes, cat. Um, th- th- this train which is coming in right now, do you think that we have the transport network to cope with the games? So far, yeah, definitely. It's been great. I haven't had any problems getting into work. Um, you know, um, everyone's really happy. We all expect a few delays, but it's been fantastic. So. 
Well, let's talk to uh, Larry Heyman from First Capital Connect. How are the trains running this morning, Larry? Uh, overall, they're running pretty well, I'm glad to say. Uh, First Capital Connect is responsible for trains that serve Luton, Bedford and St Albans, amongst other stations in Beds, right. Hearts and Bucks. Are you putting on any extra carriages to make up for the increased number of passengers? Yes, we are. Particularly, I mean, we use all the carriages we can anyway during the morning and evening peak. Uh, but what we are doing is we're putting a lot of extra carriages on in the um, mid and late evening because that's the pinch point. That's the time when so many people are coming back late from the games. We want to make sure that we have every uh, carriage that we've got in service to uh, make sure we can get people home. Most of those people in that report that Justin uh, was talking about all seemed to kind of accept that there were going to be crowded trains and we're like well it's only a couple of weeks we can get on with it that's that kind of makes sense doesn't it larry it does um in fact um if justin had been at the uh, st dorman station a little earlier he'd have caught me as well because i got the 618 this morning it was very crowded but everybody got on everybody was in a great mood lots of people going to the olympics and um we're determined to uh, give people the best possible games that we can from the point of view of getting people there and getting people home again i should probably just apologize to everybody who uh, has been approached by justin this morning it's, it's it's nothing we can do about it. It's, it's in his job. He has to go up to people and talk to them. Uh, there was some damage to the cables north of Flittick on the network last week, which badly disrupted services. Have you got any more security on the lines now to stop uh, this kind of thing hampering people's enjoyment of the games? Yes, it was, it was the signalling cable, mm. and it was caused by thieves, in fact, who uh, stole um, nearly a kilometre of uh, uh, signalling cable. Um, so um, the key thing is we have um, between Bedford and Brighton that's over 100 miles of track um, it's impossible to uh, cover every um, inch of that route um, with security but the key thing is to ask everybody to be observant if you see people moving around with a van uh, and uh, approaching the railway line along country tracks um, please call the police and let them know. If it's, not a, if it's perfectly innocent, that's no problem. But most people who do that in the middle of the night are not innocent. We've got the canoe slalom event taking place in Hertfordshire's Lee Valley White Water Raft Centre uh, this week. The Chessant and uh, Waltham Cross train stations are the main stations for this event. How are they going to be affected, Larry? Well, they're not on our route, uh, but what we do know is that there are a lot of uh, direct bus links, um, particularly from Hatfield, to get people who live in uh, South Bedfordshire and West Hertfordshire over to the Broxbourne events. Um, so hopefully many people will use the buses uh, rather than going into London and coming back out on the trains. Uh, and finally, is, is there a central website where people can get updates on any delays to your service? Uh, yes, uh, for our service, the best website is First Capital Connect. Larry, thank you very much. No doubt we'll be speaking to you again uh, at some point. Larry Heyman from First Capital Connect. Everyone was rather jolly uh, in Justin's report there. But it's Monday, it's the first day. It's not really kicked in yet. Wonder what they'll be like sort of Wednesday evening as they're coming home from work or Thursday morning as, as you know, three or four days into it. Uh, if you've been using the trains this morning um, and you've noticed that they are busier, 08459 455 555. Let me know uh, how it's affected you and if, if, if people have been as jolly. Uh, as uh, Justin's report would have you think. Paul is in Bletchley. Good morning, Paul. Hello, Ian. How are you going? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, thank you. I'm, I'm sort yes. of enjoying the Olympics more than I ever dreamed possible. Yes, well, this, it's a bit of an eye-opener, isn't it? It's lovely. It's I agree with you. What did you make of the opening ceremony? Did you see it? Yes, I, well, some of it. I, I honestly thought it was... It might have been visually lovely there. My sister-in-law went to the rehearsal on the Monday and... Uh, 
rather enjoyed it. But yep. uh, I think the spectacle of being there. But um, no, I thought it was a mess, really. I, I, you know, I would have gone down. I don't think it came over on the television right. at all. Um, what bit in particular was a mess to well, you? Well, I think just. I don't think history. It was a bit like a school pantomime, really. I, I would have gone for something like having some of the organisations in England, like the Scouts. You could have had a, some of the gang show there. You know, had some singing, um, maybe the boys' brigade, things like that. Even a little bit of ballet. You know, for ten minutes, it might sound silly, but something that's Sorry. really of artistic merit and yeah. um, and you know, get really infused. You know, it was just a sort of a long. You know, um, you don't think nothing. that you don't think that Kenneth Branagh or Dizzy Rascal or the Jam were of artistic merit? <laughs> no, not really. No. Wow. Because I think as well, you see, um, a lot of, um, some of these people don't register with people much, you know, they, they, I mean, I thought the Rowan Atkinson bit was good, you know, to in- inject a little bit of humour into it was, yeah. was rather good, but, um... But you want, Paul, you want ballet in the games? <laughs> well, you know, why, well, you know, something like that, you know, something, maybe just ten minute slot, you know, if you yeah. had, what was it, an hour and a half, two hours of, of, um, thing, I mean, what, as I say, why not something like the Scouts? You could have had okay. a, a thousand of them on there doing a bit from the, one of the gang shows, um, Boys Brigade, Red Cross, mate. Okay, Paul, thank you very much. Paul's suggestion there that the, it was a bit of a mess, the opening ceremony, and that we should have had some ballet and some Boy Scouts in there. What do you think? 08459 555. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. 7.47 on Monday, July the 30th. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Paula Radcliffe says she will take her time in deciding her athletics future after withdrawing from the marathon at the Olympics. The Bedford runner says competing in London was a major goal in her life. Police in High Wycombe are appealing for witnesses after a man was found with head injuries in Castle Street in the early hours of yesterday morning. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton achieved his second win of the season with victory in the Hungarian Grand Prix. Your weather for beds, hearts and bucks, a dry start with some sunshine, but developing cloud will bring the risk of a few showers. Maximum temperature, 19 degrees Celsius. And coming up tonight, Panorama investigates government plans to get people off disability benefit. We'll find out more next. He's got uh, a filthy cackle and a filthy mind, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Now, a Panorama documentary tonight is investigating government attempts to get millions of people off disability benefits and back into work. The government says they want to put an end to the sick note culture and review those claiming long-term incapacity benefit. But how easy is it to assess who's fit for work and how will it affect those who genuinely cannot work? Ruth Sherman is from Bletchley. Her husband became very ill almost seven years ago and has been unable to work most of that time. Ruth, tell us a little bit more about your husband's condition. Uh, morning, hi. Um, he's got he's got a few things wrong with him. Um, uh, firstly, he's got a cyst on his brain. Um, he also has uh, what they call idio- idiopathic peripheral neuropathy. His uh, nerves are dying faster than he is, so he, he, he can't always feel to touch things and to walk and things like that. He also has uh, resistant hypertension um, and sleep apnea. How does the cyst on the brain affect him? Um, apparently, um, at the moment, not, it doesn't do anything at the moment. Um, it's one of these, it's kind of crept into parts of his brain. Um, the reason it's called arachnoid, because it looks like a spider. Uh, It's quite strange on the scans. Um, but it doesn't mean that it won't cause Hmm. problems later on, later on in life. And how has his condition or conditions affected him and you and your family? Um, I gave up work about 18 months ago, um, 
it was causing me a lot of stress. We have two young children, seven-year-old and two-year-old. Um, and uh, leaving them at home with him isn't always a good thing because if he's having a bad day, he could fall. Um, he could, um, he could, he has coughing fits. Um, it's not a recognised condition, but they, they think that um, his brain touches the back of his skull which causes a coughing reflex. And when that happens, when anybody coughs, you obviously lose your breath and you can black out, which is what happens to him as well. So it's quite a worry for me. So I gave up work so I could look after him um, or my family yeah. <laughs> um, and, and be, feel a bit safer about doing that. But day-to-day life is, is um, we just have to take it day-to-day. He can have a good day, he can have a bad day. How easy was it to claim disability living allowance? Rather, rather difficult. We fought for quite a while because he doesn't really fit in a category because he's not poorly every day um, because he doesn't have a bad day all the time. Um, they were basically saying that he was fine and that he could go to work. Uh, despite the fact the government doctor saying because of the amount of tablets he's on, it's ridiculous to think that he should be able to work on, the, on those kinds of and the amounts of tablets. What do you think of these government plans to get more people into work? How, how is it going to affect you? Um, I'm hoping it's not going to affect us too much. We go, we undergo a review at the moment, so I'm actually quite scared about um, finding out, but that's been taking a long time. Um, I, I, personally, I would love to go back to work, so is my husband. Mm. He hates being at home. Um, we hate living like this. Um, but unfortunately, um, life is the way that it is. Um, what worries me is that they're going to force my husband into work and it's going to make him worse. Um, he could have up to, well, he could have up to seven days a week bad where he's in bed all day, um, can't get out of bed. Um, so find an employer. I'd like to find an employer that, that he could just ring up and say, sorry, I can't come in today. And that could happen three or four or five times a week. Ruth, stay on the line. We're going to speak now to Hertfordshire MP Oliver uh, Heald, who's on the Work and Pension Select Committee. Good morning, Oliver. Oh, you're there. Hello, Oliver. Hello. Do you acknowledge that the assessment system is flawed? Yes, I mean, the Select Committee looked at the original uh, reports uh, coming out in 2008 when this was introduced and did make some strong comments about how it needed to be improved. I mean, I think the overall aim which the government has of not writing off hundreds of thousands of disabled people as unable to work, but actually trying to help them into work is a good thing. But it is important to get this assessment right. And, of course, the sort of case that Ruth's talking about, and I think we'd all understand, you know, how difficult it is for her, these are the difficult ones, the intermittent conditions where uh, you can have a good day, but then other days days, of course, you're just not able to do anything. Um, and, and it's really been tr- trying to improve the system for those sorts of cases that the select committees made recommendations about. And, you know, to be fair to the government, they have had this independent review that is gradually making the system better. Oliver, people are scared. People are scared. We've spoken to a couple of callers today who are scared that they are going to be forced back into work because someone thinks they are well enough to work when they actually know that they're not well enough to work. 
I know, but campaigners have been saying for years, and I think we'd all say that this is true, that there have been hundreds of thousands of disabled people, many of whom wanted help to get into work, many of whom were just written off, and we couldn't just ignore that. And I think it is right to have a test to try and work out, look, who are the people who really can't work and who are those who with some help could? And so any testing system will obviously create concerns, um, but it is right to do it because otherwise what we're saying is, well, look, we're writing off a generation of disabled people. Uh, you know, the benefits of work are structured to your day, more money, uh, the ability to meet people on a much more regular basis, the dignity of independence. I mean, these are important things. But do you, uh, and I would totally agree that if people are swinging the lead, then of course they should be outed and they should be made to work. But do you not think, Oliver, in an attempt to save a little bit of money, uh, that you're possibly pursuing the wrong people, that we're pursuing the vulnerable people who we should be looking after and protecting? Well, there's a balance to be struck because it's not just about money, it's about people's lives. Now, if you're a disabled person and you're able to work and you haven't had the help that you need to do it, that's a very bad thing. And it's something that campaigners have been saying to government for years that you need to do more. I mean, the, the, the estimate was there were a million people with disabilities who were just written off on benefit. And I mean, to do, actually do something about that is very valuable. Uh, it's also right that we should be paying benefits benefits to, to the people who are in need, not uh, where, where they, don't, uh, they don't need the benefits. So, so it's a difficult exercise that the government is mm. embarked on. They've got an independent person who's been looking at how to improve the system. Major improvements have been made. But I think we would all accept you know, that the difficult cases are these intermittent ones where one day you, you're, you're okay and the next day you're not. Ruth, you, you listening there to uh, uh, Oliver, what do you make of all of that? Um, I, I, I agree with most of what he says. I mean, like I said, my husband would love to get back to work, um, but trying to find an employer, as you said, that's going to um, be okay with him being off sick maybe two or three times one week, and then I, I myself, I, I've worked in um, retail management, and I would have never taken somebody on that had said to me, "Oh, this might happen," because it's such a tight knit thing with the, the um, budgets and things, and it's the same. With, uh, with a lot of places um, he did try to go back to work um, but because he started to have quite a lot of time off sick he had to leave um, and, and it's just about finding that balance Oliver um, how, much, uh, how much money would the government save by getting half a million people off benefits and into work well, well, of course, the government's not saying that this is a money-saving no, operation. No, not at all, but, just um, asking. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't got the, the figure, figure directly to hand, but, um, you know, obviously it would be a significant amount of money, millions of pounds. Um, but but all, all I'd say, though, is that, um, you know, it, it's wrong to give employers the message that the people who are coming off benefit, um, who, who will be looking for work, that these are all people who, who are unable to work. They're not. I mean, there are a good body of people... Um, who, who've been on disability benefits who with help can work and so you know we want to get the right message across of course stay on the line we've got um, janet has called in from great Hormie. good morning janet good morning what's what's your comment on all of this well it's about time the government did something right i mean i have a severely disabled son he's 23 and got severe cerebral palsy he lives at home with us he gets the high rate of all his benefits and he actually gets it indefinitely um, and I, I mean, they can take Daniel in and they can assess him. I've got no problem with that. 
Um, if he needs a drink or food, we have to do it. He's unable to do it. If he needs to go to the toilet, we have to do it. You know, but there is, like you say, there is some severely disabled people out there, and and it's these people that the government have got to stop worrying. You know, they've got to turn around and say, is to re-look at it and just say, you know, send letters out or do whatever they've got to do and say, look, you know, you're one of these that haven't got to worry. You know? Janet, listen, like we're running out of time. Thank Oliver, have you, very quickly, have you got a message for those people that, that are genuinely unable to go back to work and are worried? What, what, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, the Select Committee have made the point that um, Janet from Hormey just made, that mm. there are, you know, a proportion of cases where you could say to people, look, your, your case will not be one that's reviewed again, or at least not for a very long time. And um, I think that is a very sensible thing. Also, I mean, the government are now introducing a system where the adjudicators get much more medical evidence. And I think with those intermittent cases, that's um, a, a very good thing. And, and then I suppose the final point to make is that we shouldn't forget that overall, to help disabled people into work is a very good thing, and it moves uh, in, in a more enlightened way than we have in the past. And so we don't want to um, get into a situation where the, the, the problems with the test uh, mean that this overall very worthwhile endeavour, you know, is spoiled. And so, um, you know, the government do need to make changes, but overall I think that they're doing the right thing. Oliver, thanks very much. Uh, that's MP Oliver Hield, uh, who's uh, from Hertfordshire and is on the Work and Pension Select Committee. We also spoke to Ruth Sherman from Bre- uh, Bletchley, whose husband became ill seven years ago, and Janet, who called in. Thank you very much. 08459 455 555. What's your take on that? It's eight o'clock already. How, how did that happen? It was five o'clock a few minutes ago and I was exhausted and struggling to get into work. Uh, coming up in the last hour of the show, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is going to pop in. We'll talk more about the, uh, the Olympics and get more of your calls after the news and sport with Simon. Thank you very much, signing. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I have got so many texts this morning. Remind me to go through those later on. Loads of you telling me what you thought about the Olympic opening ceremony, uh, about benefits and all other kinds of things uh, as well. We'll do those a bit later on. You can give me a call. Texts are good, but I prefer a phone call. It's nice to have a little chitty chat, isn't it? 08459 455 555. Coming up between now uh, and 9 o'clock, JVS is going to pop in and tell us uh, what's happening on his show uh, this morning. More about the Olympic travel situation. How is it affecting people in beds, hearts and bucks? And we're going to have an equestrian preview. Very exciting. It is exciting. I, I'm so not into sport at all. I'm loving the Olympics. I'm, and I've never pressed my red button so much. Uh, the, you know, on the digital, if you press the red button, then you can, you can choose which sport you watch. Although my wife has told me we're not allowed to watch any of the aggressive ones in front of the kids. So, uh, fencing is out. Judo is out. Shooting is a definite no-no. I haggled and we're allowed to watch archery. We're allowed to watch archery in front of the kids. That's it. Seems a little bit extreme. I was, I was so tempted to watch the judo yesterday, but I thought it's probably not worth it. We don't want to be teaching them any uh, judo moves. My little two and a half year old is, is, is aggressive enough, uh, enough as it is already. Eight one three double three. Start your text three CR, or you can email three CR at bbc.co.uk. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
It's the first working day of the Olympics today with commuters from the three counties heading to London for work. Network Rail say that the busiest hotspot will be London Bridge Station as spectators travel to the equestrian event in Greenwich Park. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been bothering commuters, to, uh, sorry, talking to commuters to see how their journey is going so far. I'm now here with Margaret. Margaret, you got your flags about to get on a train. Tell us what you're doing today. Today we're going to see the swimming at um, the Aqua Centre in um, Olympic Park and we've got um, the men's freestyle and women's medley and we've got uh, uh, three Brits in there so I've got my flags. <laughs> They'll be um, cheering on the Brits. A lot of people have got concerns about the transport but you saw the badminton on Saturday so you went into London. Any problems at all on Saturday? No problems at all. The trains went on time. Um, there was no... Uh, the cra- a few crowd. You know, the crowd was quite big but everything was well organised. Um, there's, there's a lot of staff there if you had a problem. It was fine. It was really, really fine. It was very well organised, very well planned. Security fine, just put your bag through. Don't take liquids, just like at the airport. Um, but you can take an empty bottle and they can fill it up for you with water. OK, and just lastly, today, of course, a bit of a different day. It's uh, a Monday morning, people are going into London to work. We can see people all around us going into work. Do you think our transport network can cope with London 2012? 100%, 100%. Um, no problem. This is a commuting um, line at the moment. We're getting a train on time. No problems at all. Now, Eileen, you're about to go into London. You're all dressed up in your Olympic outfit. Tell us what you're doing in London. I'm a Wayfinder uh, team member, and I'm telling people where to go when they get off the train um, so that everyone makes sure we get them all going in the right direction and they get to the right gate where they want to be. This train, which is coming in right now... Do you think that we have the transport network to cope with the games? So far, yeah, definitely. It's been great. I haven't had any problems getting into work. Um, you know, um, everyone's really happy. We all expect a few delays, but it's been fantastic. I, l- I love the enthusiasm of, of not that last lady, although she sounds very enthusiastic. The one before. She's keen, isn't she? Hey, uh, Larry Heyman from First Capital Connect says they are taking extra steps to make sure extra passengers heading to London are catered for. We use all the carriages we can anyway during the morning and evening peak. Uh, but what we are doing is we're putting a lot of extra carriages on in the um, mid and late evening because that's the pinch point. That's the time when so many people are coming back late from the games. We want to make sure that we have every uh, carriage that we've got in service to uh, make sure we can get people home. I got the 618 this morning. It was very crowded, but everybody got on. Everybody was in a great mood. Lots of people going to the Olympics. And um, we're determined to uh, give people the best possible games that we can from the point of view of getting people there and getting people home again. John Caldwell is from the Highways Agency. Good morning, John. How are the roads looking around the three counties into London this morning? Morning, Ian. Yeah, they're all flowing okay. Busy, as you'd expect. It's uh, a Monday morning, so it's uh, very similar to what we expect most Monday mornings. It's all flowing fine. What about the M1? That's going to be busier than normal, isn't it? No, no, it's flowing as we would see on a normal oh, okay. Monday morning. We've got the managed motorway open, so we've got 11 down to 10. We've got the four lanes using the hard shoulder, and then 10 down to the M25. It's all about 60 miles an hour. It's a little bit uh, slower down between junctions 2 and 1 as you go in, uh, mm. coming off the M1 southbound. If people have had enough of the games already and want to get away to Heathrow, what's the least busy way to get there? Probably the moment I say it, it'll be the wrong way. Uh, right. <laughs> no, I mean, it, what we're saying to people is a plan, give yourselves a little bit of extra time. Um, you, know, you know, if there are incidents, we've got extra people on the road, extra cars, vehicle recovery, incident support units, so we'll get there quickly and clear it. So there is a risk that there might be some slow-moving traffic. We're asking people just to leave themselves a little bit of space. 
take the cells a bit of time, don't rush, and uh, all the roads are running fine. Of course, events aren't just happening in London, although we could be forgiven for, for thinking that they are. We've got the canoe slalom event at the Lee Valley White Water Centre in Hertfordshire. How are the roads around the White Water Centre going to be affected? Um, there are some closures, but generally speaking, uh, the roads are all uh, fine. There is uh, some park and ride op- uh, op- options from Hatfield and from North Weald, so they're all people being bussed in. Um, that was open yesterday and went really well. We're very pleased with the way things went. The vast majority of people are coming by public transport, which is what we were hoping was going to happen. Those that are coming by vehicle are, be- are able to get in and out fine. Are there any Olympic lanes around that venue? Because I've seen them all around London, around the North Circular and stuff like that. Are, th- are there any around there? No, the only... only one that isn't in London is the M4. All the rest right. of them are in London. Okay. Here's, hey, here's a question, John. Maybe you can answer. If a car breaks down in the Olympic lane, what happens? Do they commandeer a normal lane? What, what do they do? We get there quickly. We've said so we've got extra cars on. We'll get there quickly and we'll get the vehicle safely away. Uh, excellent stuff. I bet, I bet you lot are loving this, aren't you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. No, well done. Uh, you've got an online travel planner that predicts traffic hotspots. Where can people find that, John? That's on our Traffic England website, so keep an eye on that. If you're planning your journeys, keep an eye on it. Um, and as I say, we've also got plenty of signs up and uh, listen to radio stations like yourself. John. We'll keep people informed. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Enjoy it. Um, yeah, so John Caldwell from the Highways Agency, and we will keep you up to date uh, with the latest travel news where you are here on BBC Three Counties Radio. He's loving it. And why not? This is what we'll do tomorrow, actually. Thank you, John. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a phone-in on, on why you're loving the Olympics. Not because of the sports, but because it's, I don't know, maybe it's made your job a little bit more exciting. You know, it's giving you just kind of a little bit of urgency that, that you perhaps didn't have before. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. Uh, let's do some of these uh, uh, emails and texts and what have you, shall we? Um, Ian. Sharon says, the Olympic uh, opening ceremony was too much of a mishmash, and only one real wow was the moment when the rings joined up overhead. That was good. That was very good. Oh, and David Beckham coming down the Thames was pretty impressive, and the Mr Bean bit was good fun. Um, Rob says, listen to the enthusiasm in your voice. Are you sure you don't like sport? I promise you, I don't like sport. Rod in Letchworth says, The opening ceremony as a well-organised and executed spectacle was truly awe-inspiring. The content was that combination of myth, legend and fantasy that we call history. The only casualty was the truth. Nevertheless, it was the stuff of the world's greatest religions and popular political beliefs are based on and therefore quite acceptable. Um, I'm talking about the empty seats, Lee and Sandy says. Regarding the empty seats at the Olympics, people who live in London have had their poll tax increase this year, uh, so why not give the tickets to the residents of London? Yeah, I'm up for that. Definitely. My sister can get a load and I'll have them. Thank you very much indeed. Let's go to Dennis in Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. What did you think of the uh, opening ceremony? Absolutely fab. Really? The nitpick as well. I've only got two, only a two-letter word to them, and the second one is off. OK, thank you very much. So, uh, that would get your idea. Thank you very no, much, it, Dennis. it was absolutely super. I thought it was... Um, you know, the, the, there's somebody in the paper on f- Saturday morning said the Queen came with that su- just sucked a lemon face. What did they expect her to the- do? Sit there with a, an inane grin on her face all the time? She's well, the Queen. That's what she looked... That's what she's famous for. Of course she is. But, well, these people make me sick. They I thought she was. Mean, I thought she was such a good sport to yeah. appear in the James Bond video. I, I did. Well, that was absolutely the other bit with Atkinson as well. You know, oh, it was our daft sense of humour. Dennis, I don't like Mr. Bean. I, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh god, <laughs> I just don't get it. Was there anything though that you weren't keen on that you thought, oh really? 
Uh, come no, on, be honest, well, Dennis, the, come the, on. No, the thing which I was, I wouldn't say upset, but annoyed about, was the so-called Team GB, where the captain of our football team and some little girl from from uh, Wales refused to sing the national anthem. Right, OK. They were not GB, and the same expression I used it as other people, where the second letter is off. OK, so D- Dennis, Dennis, watch your, watch, I know you're, you're hinting at it, but still, you're putting the thought in people's minds. Steady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about Paul McCartney? He was good, wasn't he? I'd rather listen to the music than his singing. <laughs> Why, I'm sorry, he's, 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 he's a little bit past it. Dennis, thank you very much indeed. I know Dennis didn't say a naughty word, but I feel I should apologise in case anyone was offended by his alluding uh, to it twice. Dennis thought it was pretty good. Apart, and he doesn't like those nitpickers, but he didn't like Paul McCartney. Thank you, Dennis. Oh eight four five nine four double five, five double five is the phone number. What did you think to the opening ceremony? The the the, the bit where the Olympic um, rings lit up and, and and went up and linked up. That was amazing. That was amazing, wasn't it? Or maybe you didn't even get that far. Maybe you thought the whole thing with Kenneth Branagh and the hills and and, and Glastonbury tour was tedious. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are the headlines this morning on Monday, the thirtieth of July, on BBC Three Counties Radio. Transport officials have warned people going to work in London to plan ahead today on what is the first weekday of the Olympics. Transport for London say the network has functioned well so far. Police in High Wycombe are appealing for witnesses after a man was found with head injuries in Castle Street in the early hours of yesterday morning. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton achieved his second win of the season with victory in the Hungarian Grand Prix. We'll have first full sports bulletin in 15 minutes and the weather shortly with Steve Weston. And coming up, we'll speak to a lady from Hertfordshire who's been coaching Olympic competitors in the equestrian team eventing cross country. Uh, but not for Team G. Hmm, controversial. And JVS will be here shortly to tell us what's happening on his show. I'm joined in the studio, as I always am at this time, by Jonathan Vernon-Smith. And I, was, I forgot you were coming in. You popped in and I was all surprised. I do apologise. That's all right. I like to uh, be surprised. Could, can you stop tweeting um, on, uh, on, on Twitter, obviously, uh, that you're wearing a bikini and things like that? What, why? It's unpleasant. What? I, it's an unpleasant image to have in my head. You're never wearing click, a bikini? I never click on your photo links because I'm scared what I'm going to see. <laughs> I don't. I'm really scared that I'm going <laughs> to see you, more. You didn't see the, the photo of me in the John Lewis bed department yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Did you lie down in the beds? <laughs> you're not allowed to. There's a photo on my Twitter. I was on an electric bed. What? Yes. Why would you plug a bed in? I spent about 40 minutes mucking about on that electric bed until finally the looks became too much for me to bear. You can't do it in John Lewis. In some of the, you know, the other shops you possibly could. But John Lewis, it's a fancy high street. Well, I did it in John Lewis. Have you been watching the sport? No. Oh. Um, No. I don't like sport. I don't like sport, but I've been watching... I watched more sport this weekend than I've seen in the last ten years of no. my life. No, I watched the opening ceremony, though. What did you think to that? Well, I thought it was very good. The The beginning was very good. Yep. The Queen was amazing. That was hilarious. I thought that was wonderful. Mr Bean, hilarious. Not funny, Love but it. OK. N- you didn't like Mr Bean? Mr Bean isn't funny. Nor is Forty Towers, or only Fools and Horses, but that's a debate for another day. Aren't you funny? It's no, I do like Mr Bean. It was funny. Oh, it was tedious. No? Oh, we get it. Okay, right, he's going to press the thing. Yeah, okay, brilliant, yeah. I didn't like the dancing business. That all got a bit boring. I didn't like the texting. I thought the texting was silly. Oh, no, that's all of it. That was, when I, that was when I went and had a shower. <laughs> I thought this was too much. And then when they started doing all that parading round and round, oh, I nearly lost the will to live. I went to bed then. When, 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 when we... Uh, I'd been watching for 20 minutes and we were still only on the letter B, I thought, ah, I'm oh, going to go to bed. No, it went on and on. And then the torch... 
the the cauldron was incredible i'm not seeing that yet that was brilliant sky plus that was brilliant and then paul mccartney uh, coming up on the big phone in this morning at nine has the olympics got off to a good start following on from friday's opening ceremony watched by 27 million people in the uk we've now had two full days of the olympics but how has it gone for you the big issue is the ticketing arrangements after empty seats were seen at some venues for the second day in a row i heard your idea earlier mm. sell them to people for 20 quid yeah name and shame the companies that haven't bothered to use them and sell them for 20 quid yeah perfect M much better idea well in a statement locog has said the event had been packed to the rafters and uh, any gaps in areas reserved for olympic and other sports officials would be filled but that doesn't really help those who've missed out on getting seats in the ballot doesn't make them feel any better does it well on the big phone in this morning at nine i want to hear your views i want to hear your views on the opening ceremony and i want to hear your views on how it's gone ever since the opening ceremony has it got off to a good start somebody tweeted me straight after the opening ceremony mm. to say that was the most boring opening ceremony of the olympics it's made me embarrassed to be british there were some people saying that that they they they, they thought it was it was embarrassing it was too left wing um and that it was a nonsense my wife who's half greek was going <laughs> she's watching it and she's going I'm, I'm just seeing a field i can see that in the countryside and then she made me watch the greek opening <laughs> ceremony from eight years ago going this is how it's done it was awful was it terrible it was awful yeah. was it, it was cheap a little bit yeah. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> but, I'm, I'm seeing a field i can see that in the countryside why do i want to watch that on tv i thought the scenery was amazing and the chimneys coming out yeah that was incredible it's good most of it was brilliant and I, I could just watch the queen being dropped out of a helicopter all day <laughs> i love the bit where, where bond is sorry we'll, we'll, we'll stop talking in a minute and we'll get back to the show <laughs> when bond is stood behind her and he just <clears throat> yes mr bond i thought it was just wonderful i know and we were all expecting you to be the lookalike it was jeanette charles that's yes. what I was, who i thought it was going to be yes. it was her man yeah brilliant oh it's brilliant has the olympics oh, still going sorry <laughs> i thought you'd finished i was build <laughs> building up to go to the weather steve's waiting I'm just gonna ask the question one more time sorry has the olympics got off to a good start nine o'clock big phone in thanks very much let's get the weather now with steve beds hearts and bugs weather bbc three counties radio steve what have you got for us please i i, I like the opening ceremony it was good wasn't it yes yeah. there were some bits that maybe you know were a bit tedious but the, the, the most part was good yeah stop complaining enjoy it today then a dry start with some sunshine but clouds are going to build and there's your weather forecast from me steve weston thank you steve across beds hearts and bugs this is bbc three counties radio well, we we have a traitor in our midst the Olympics, the equestrian team event in cross-country challenge takes place today, and this means that the horses and riders must complete the course containing up to 45 jumps in Greenwich Park. Anna Ross Davis from Hertfordshire has been coaching one of the competitors, not for Team GB. What on earth is this, Anna? Uh, good morning. You've good been morning. helping. You've been helping the enemy. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have been helping the enemy. Who, I'm afraid. Who have you been working um, with? Um, I've been working with um, some of the Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian contingent, a guy called Marcelo Tosi, um, who is competing for Brazil in, in these Olympic Games, yes. How, how did you get that gig? That seems odd that, that uh, a British uh, person would, would be involved with the Brazilian team. What happened? Well, what happens is, to be honest, uh, there, there are quite a lot of British people involved with, uh, with coaching other, other nations. Um, especially as the Olympics has come to London this time. And so very many people have um, decamped from their own country over to, um, over to London and, and, and basically need, need help with coaching before the Olympics. The horse... Now, this is... I'm going to ask you a question that may either show me as a genius or an idiot. 
Do they bring their own horses from their foreign countries, or do they use British horses? Yes. They bring no, them over. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they bring them over. Yep, there's been horses flown in from all over the world to these um, these these Olympic games. Can you? How well does a horse fly? Uh, pretty well, generally. Um, they they are usually reasonably calm about it. There is a bit of a, a moment of worry where they are lifted in a crate by a crane up oh. into an aeroplane. But by the time a, a horse has got to an Olympic Games, generally they are they are seasoned travellers and are used to being in all sorts of situations. And how so long how long has the horse been in, in in the country? How long does it have to acclimatise? Um, the, the horses generally would come in about three to four weeks before, okay. and some have been here training since last year. You know, these these London Games are very special to everybody, and, and there have been huge sort of life changes made by many riders to, to be here wow. and in the best possible chance. Today's event is part of the eventing competition. I know very little about equestrian sports, Anna, so tell me, how does that work? Basically, the um, it's known as three-day eventing, and it starts with um, what they call the dressage competition, which is been helping with and that is an obedience competition so first of all the horses are tested for the obedience and then the next day which is obviously today they go on a huge cross-country jumping effort which is on sort of speed and stamina there's an allocated time to stop people going too fast or too slow and they jump a number of obstacles around Greenwich Park this time um, but are fixed obstacles I mean you, you don't want to be hitting these very hard these, these horses are, are good jumpers mm. then the next day they'll have a veterinary inspection because of the sort of supreme effort they've made today there's a veterinary inspection tomorrow and all the horses that pass that veterinary inspection will then go on to jump um show jumping round, which is basically knockdown fences and they, they accumulate penalties jumping penalties and dressage penalties throughout the competition um, and Great Britain actually have a, a very good record in this competition. At the moment, we're lying third um, and, and are in for a good chance of a medal. So, um, so, so G- G- Team GB are in line from, uh, possibly in line for a medal. Uh, Marcelo Tozzi, who you've been um, training from Brazil, uh, how do you think he's going to do? Is, is he good enough to get a medal? At the moment, he's really aiming for Rio because obviously that's going to be a very special Olympics for the Brazilians. But he did right. a, a good steady round yesterday in the dressage, and his horse is a very good jumper. So, um, so f- fingers crossed for a good, you know, for a good run. Um, but it's really Rio that they're interested in, which is, of course makes sense. It's now, another question that again will, will display my ignorance or make me look very clever. Do, obviously, there are personalities involved with both the horse and the rider. Do they ever kind of fall out? Yep, very often. Do they? <laughs> yes, you've got, you've got strong characters. I mean, horses that are able to complete this sort of <laughs> effort tend to be strong, tough characters, and yep. riders that are fit enough and strong enough to complete this kind of effort are also um, fit and strong, strong characters, and obviously you put the whole lot in a high-pressure situation. Wow. Um, but But generally, you know, the, by the time the they get to this level the horse and the rider will be a team they'll be very good friends and those sort of situations will be will be ironed out but certainly there will be times where the horse will think you know he wants to go faster and the rider wants to go slower or or vice versa so certainly you know it's certainly a team effort between the horse and rider combination fantastic anna ross davis thank you so much for that that was fascinating she's from hertfordshire and has been coaching uh, marcelo tozzi uh, who is a brazilian uh, member of the equestrian team we've got a few more texts and emails we can do here um paul in aylesbury we've been talking about the uh, opening ceremony and, and, and jvs will be talking more about the olympics and this um after nine o'clock uh, pete in asbury says i thought the opening ceremony was good if one understood it the girl who sang abide with me was superb she was good she was excellent but paul mccartney was awful 
The whole thing was a great spectacle, though. Paul McCartney, I think he's 70, maybe 71, 70-something like that. Uh, a lot of people said, maybe he's a little bit too old. I was kind of hoping the Stones were going to come out. I, I thought when we were getting that, that sort of musical montage, that maybe the Stones were going to come out and do something with Paul McCartney. That would have been cool. No Elton John. And also, I read, I read that there was going to be a holographic um, Freddie Mercury as well. I, I was, I was told, you know they had Tupac did a hologram concert recently. I thought there was going to be a hologram... Most of our listeners going, Tupac, what? Uh, I, I thought there was going to be a hologram Freddie Mercury come out and, and sing. That's what I've been led to believe. It turns out you should never believe anything you read on the internet. Who'd have thought? Um, Pauline says, Ian, I agree with you not liking Mr Bean or Forty Towers or Only Fools and Horses, but I do like David Jason in Open All Hours. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, you can text 81333, start your text 3CR. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. Uh, you've been texting in. in dry, I've never seen so many texts. Uh, and there's, um, We'll go through some of these. It's easier if you call. The phone calls are much more fun because we can have a chitty chat. Uh, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. But I appreciate these texts, and I'll do my best to read as many of these uh, before the end of the show as I can. Uh, December the third. Doesn't that seem a lifetime away? December the third, twenty twelve, is an important date for supporters and opponents of the proposed high speed two rail line. It's when fifteen councils, including four from the three counties, will challenge the government's decision to go ahead with the thirty three billion pounds project. Uh, Nick Rose is leader of Chiltern District Council, one of those taking the government to court. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Why um, is this a sensible use of taxpayers' money? Well, because the case for HS2 is so economically illiterate and abysmal, it is going to waste a colossal amount of taxpayers' money. There are cheaper and more effective ways of achieving the same uh, outcome, which is to improve capacity on the West Coast main line, amongst other places. And it's not necessary, um, not, coupled with the fact that it's going to wreck a huge area of the children's area of outstanding natural beauty. How much is the action likely to cost, Nick? Well, I couldn't really say at the moment because it's um, difficult to estimate that sort of thing. But millions? Um, oh no, I wouldn't have thought so. Right. No, uh, you know, uh, uh, legal legal actions of any kind are always expensive. Um, but you know, somewhere of the order of, of uh, a, a few hundred thousand. Why uh, December the third? Why is it? Why is it taking so long to get this in, into place? Well, that's the date which has been set by the court. Right. Okay. Uh, therefore, that's, there was a case management conference last week, and that was the date which uh, Mr Justice Oosley um, has said. Is your aim to stop uh, HS2 altogether? Well, obviously, our aim is to prevent uh, an unwarranted, uh, economically bankrupt um, intrusion into the landscape. Yes, it is. Um, there are several reasons for stopping it. Um, you know, simply because... Each constituency throughout the entire country is going to lose £51 million worth of investment because it's going to be poured into the HS2 black hole. It's just not good use of taxpayers' money. Nick, thank you very much for that. Now, we'll, we'll be following this as it continues. That's Nick Rose there, who is the leader of Chiltern District Council, uh, and he's taking the government to court in an attempt to halt the HS2 um, scheme that will cost £33 billion. Ouch. 
Uh, the 2012 Olympics got underway in Hertfordshire yesterday with the first heats in the men's single canoe and single kayak at the purpose-built canoe slalom venue at Lee Valley White Water Centre. Great Britain's uh, K1 competitor is Richard Hounslow and after posting a time of 94.40 for his first run he was left needing to record a faster time in his second heat to qualify for Tuesday's semi-finals. That's exactly what he did with a time of 89.12 and just after climbing from the water he spoke to our Olympics reporter Luke Ashmead. As soon as your name gets announced the crowd you know just goes crazy and uh, uh, you know it's really nice there's so much support here. Um, but he, it does add a little bit of pressure on you, but uh, you know that's part of my job, uh, you know, dealing with that pressure. Uh, I've been down this course you know, more times than most people, so it's just a case of uh, you know, putting the boat where it needs to be. Um, like I say, I, I did make it difficult for myself. A couple of very light touches on the first run you know, knocked me down, but um, you know, I've done enough and I live to fight another day. That really was the only difference, wasn't it, between the first and the second run? It's very similar in timings with that four-second penalty. Yeah, definitely. I think I might have been a touch quicker there on the second, on the second run. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, my first run had loads of time in it and the two touches. Um, but, you know, I was on the start line there. I spoke to my coach and he just said, you know, you've got the time there. Just don't do anything stupid. Uh, you know, keep it safe, keep it composed. And that's what I did. You know, I, I didn't do a run there to try and, to try and win. I did a run to try and get through, you know, make the top 15 and, uh, and be on the start line for the semi-final on Wednesday. It's very easy to talk about the crowd and the noise. Just, just explain what difference that makes. Yeah, it is unbelievable, uh, you know, but I mean, underneath it all, I'm just uh, your average, warm-blooded, ego-driven male. And, uh, you know, to have 11,000 people there cheering you down, it's, it's incredible, you know. Uh, I mean, it, it does add a bit of pressure on it. Um, you know, and, and it's sort of, like I say, it's up to me to deal with that pressure and, to, uh, you know, and I work with a psychologist to sort of, you know, to make sure I can control all those sort of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is, you know. You can't tell them all to, to, to not make noise, you know, or to go away, you know, before you run. So you've got to deal with it, and uh, today I, I did. Richard Hounslow there talking to Luke Ashmead. Hounslow is back in action today in the C2, the canoe double event, teaming up with David Florence. In the same event, it's Bedford's Etienne Stott's partner, Tim Bailey's first appearance at the Games. And Luke Ashmead will be bringing you news uh, throughout the day about what's happening in the Olympics. Now, earlier on, uh, we were talking uh, about the opening ceremony uh, and uh, also the, the people not turning up for the Olympics. Empty seats, corporate seats, empty. Peter and Warmer, Warmer Green has called in. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Peter, what's your view on all this? Well, uh, my view, really, is uh, the tickets for the opening ceremony were far too dear for the ordinary man in the street. Now, the, the Olympics, that's against the Olympic spirit anyway, because it should be a people's games. And most of the people, the only working people that, that were there, or the ordinary man in the street, if you like, were the people doing the work... Um, doing all the exhibition of uh, acts, really. Well, yeah, you, you raise a good point, because someone was I mean, telling me... the cleaners as well, you know? Well, exactly, but someone was telling me that the, the tickets were £2,012. Well, yeah, an ordinary man in the can't afford that in any way whatsoever. So. No, no, who could afford that? Millionaires yeah. could afford that. It does seem excessive. £2,012 for a ticket? I mean, they all name this the corporate... Olympic Games, and then have an ordinary Olympic Games for the people. So, Peter, are you saying that these Olympics are not for the people? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because if you look at it, if you look at it logically, I mean, you, there are so many rules being imposed that 
and and furthermore, people can't get the tickets. There's empty venues or half empty venues everywhere. Because also, I noticed on the swimming and a, and the gymnastics, and some of the children saying about they would love to have been at the gymnastics. Mm. I mean, it's horrendous. Peter, did you watch any of the opening ceremony on TV? I a small amount. I saw some of it. I thought the the rings were brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the flaming rings were brilliant, bringing into, if you like, into the way industry evolved, basically. Mm. But uh, some of it was tat, really. What bit did you think was tat, Peter? Well, I didn't watch all of it, but right. I thought some of the, the, uh, the singing and bouncing around yeah. type things that, that were... It, it's for the cheaper masses, if you like, and the masses weren't there. Yeah. You didn't like the bouncing around? No, okay. I really didn't. There, there was some very, very clever, the lighting of the cauldron, and that was very, very clever. See, I've missed the lighting of the cauldron. I've, I've taped it, and I need to, I'm going to watch that oh, this afternoon. Oh, it was very, very clever. And have you watched any of the sports, Peter? I've watched quite a bit of the sports. So I've watched the boxing. I don't support the Team GB. I can't, because I've never been able to support a team with a cheat in it in my life. OK, well, let's, let's, let's not go any further. I don't want to know who, who you're... Uh, pointing at the finger at being a cheat. Uh, but Peter, thank you very much for that. Peter thought uh, those those flaming blooming rings um, was good, but there was some tact in the opening ceremony. Jo- Jonathan will be talking about this more after nine o'clock. So if you've got a view on the opening ceremony, let him know. Alex and Luton has emailed him. I think that the issue with Olympic tickets is a disgrace. If I were an employee or shareholder of a sponsor and the tickets were not used, I would be furious. I think that if the seats belong to the Olympic family, then that is a bigger disgrace. Using the excuse that these are only heats is a swipe at the athletes taking part. Yeah, that was one of the lines that they, um, they threw out. Um, and goes against the statement that it's the taking part which is important. Also, it's a PR disaster. From previous experience of the red seats at Wembley, I'm assuming they're the, the, the good ones, you would have thought these seats would have been allocated outside the camera angles so they were not obvious. One last thing, come on, TV, GV, with Alex Illusion. It does make you think, doesn't it? What should they do with those empty seats? I think name and shame the companies that haven't bothered to turn up, sell them for 20 quid, a little booth. Have a little booth outside. You know, a little, little man in a hut... Uh, you queue up in the morning if there's any tickets left over that the the suits haven't seen fit to use. Twenty quid sounds perfect. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's eight forty-five on Monday, July the thirtieth. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Transport officials have warned people going to work in London to plan ahead today on what is the first weekday of the Olympics. Transport for London say the network has functioned well so far. Police in High Wycombe are appealing for witnesses after a man was found with head injuries in Castle Street in the early hours of yesterday morning. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton achieved his second win of the season with victory in the Hungarian Grand Prix. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks. A dry start with some sunshine, but developing cloud will bring the risk of a few showers. Maximum temperature is 19 degrees Celsius. Coming up, Paula Radcliffe has pulled out of the Olympics. Next, we'll hear from the British Society of Rheumatology to find out what this means for the marathon runner. And Jonathan Vernon-Smith is here at nine with the phone-in. Today, he's asking, has the Olympics got off to a good start? We have got shed loads of stuff left for you in the last 15 minutes of the show. Uh, loads of stuff. I always feel sorry for Nick Coffer on that trail because bucking broncos they're not there's nothing fun about them at all they're horrible horrible things to go on the only fun is if you're the person watching the person on it and poor nick he's he's he's, he's uh, brilliant but he shouldn't have been made to do that i think kate is filling in for him again uh, this week i think it's kate robbins this week we, we will get to 
confirmation on that. Now, Bedford runner Paula Radcliffe has pulled out of the Olympic marathon because of a foot injury. In a statement, she said, from the day when it was announced that London had won the bid, taking part and performing well in the London Olympic Games has been a major goal in my life. She went on to say she was finally closing the door on her dream, knowing that she had tried everything possible. Paula is still the women's uh, marathon world record holder and a former world champion and has suffered with osteoarthritis in her foot during her career. Chris Dayton is president of the British Society of Rheumatology. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. What are the effects of osteoarthritis? Well, the the main reason why people would present to medical attention with osteoarthritis is because of pain in the joint. Um, so that's a predominant reason why why people would attend either a general practitioner or a specialist. Now, would Paula have had this anyway if she wasn't a marathon runner, or is it the marathon running that's brought this on? It's always difficult to say because osteoarthritis, by far the most important factor in osteoarthritis is age. So as we all get older, we'll all develop some elements of osteoarthritis. But some people can develop the condition really quite early in life, and that may have been because of a previous injury or because the bones and the joints just haven't developed properly. And there's definitely a significant genetic component to osteoarthritis as well that we're learning more and more about. She's possibly made it worse by, by running, though, has she? That would seem to make sense. Because the marathon, it's not just running, it's, it's punishing your body, isn't it? No, absolutely. So that for most of us, it's simply not possible for us to wear our joints out. Uh, most of us, mere mortals, just can't do sufficient exercise to be able to achieve that. But professional athletes and elite athletes, unfortunately, are more prone to wear and tear. So although our joints are biological systems and have fantastic capacity for repair... They also behave a little bit like physical systems. So for our elite athletes, they, they can wear joints out. For example, professional footballers are much more prone to osteoarthritis of the knees than, than the rest of us. And in the United States of America, where the baseball pitchers have a very strange action mm. with which they whip their arms out, osteoarthritis of the elbow is, is quite rare, but apparently people who are pitchers in the United States of America get quite a lot of osteoarthritis in their elbows. So you can wear joints out. Uh, and I'm sure that in the case of Paula Radcliffe, that, uh, as you say, that the punishing schedules that she puts her body through uh, will have had some sort of a contribution to the problems that she has. Going off on a very slight tangent, Chris, can you get it from, you know some people click their fingers, can you get it from doing that? There's no good evidence to show that that's the case, uh, that you can't really damage joints by clicking your fingers. Phew. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of quite enjoy doing it. That's what I was aiming at. It's good. It would, it, you would need to set up quite a large study in order to be able to address that right. and follow regular clickers of fingers up over long periods of time and compare them with non-clickers. And I think to do that sort of research would be difficult. Uh, so I'm not sure we'll ever have a really good answer to that question. Okay, I think people but I'm not have... aware of any evidence to show that clicking can make a Scientists probably have more important things to, to pursue <laughs> than, than that. I think that's probably right. Uh, what will Paula have been experiencing um, through having osteoarthritis in her foot? I'm assuming it's painful. Uh, that's the main symptom that yeah. people will get. And for reasons we don't fully understand, um, the, the condition can flare up. So sometimes it may be that a small piece of damaged cartilage might break off in the affected joint and could establish some inflammation in the area. Or a small piece of bone. Uh, it, the bone thickens on either side of an osteoarthritic joint. And sometimes some of that 
uh, might actually die on either side of the joint and trigger off a flare-up. So it's not just a case of osteoarthritis being chronically, persistently painful. Mm. Uh, For some people, there will be flare-ups that take place in the condition. And finally, Chris, how will it affect her future? I mean, she's still comparatively young. What, what, What does it look like for her in the future? Uh, well, uh, I'm not uh, I'm not party to all of the details no, of, of her particular condition, but I think one of the take-home messages about osteoarthritis is it's not inevitably progressive. Okay. We have fantastic biological systems with cartilage that does have a capacity for repair, uh, so it's not inevitably downhill. And for people with osteoarthritis, we still encourage them to take regular exercise because even joints that are slightly damaged still require uh, regular use in order to try and stay as healthy as possible. Now, whether that includes the ability to run marathons at a very elite level, uh, I I really, I can't comment on Paula Radcliffe's particular Mm. set of circumstances, but I would imagine that uh, as with all of us, that time is against us so that our repair mechanisms are not as good as the years go by. But let's sincerely hope that this isn't the end of her career and that she will be able to make a recovery. And as I said before, it's not inevitable that osteoarthritis gets progressively worse. Chris, thank you very much. Chris Dayton is uh, president of the British Society of Rheumatology. <laughs> I keep being half tempted to do a Jimmy Savile impression and then backing away from it. Always, I think it's sensible to back away from the impression in these things. Hundreds of items belonging to the late Sir Jimmy Savile are going under the hammer this morning. The auction's expected to raise thousands. I think they're saying something like £200,000 for his favourite good causes. Up for grabs? Everything from his gold tracksuit to his pink satin bedspread. Here's a little reminder of what made him one of our most colourful stars. Another edition of Top of the Pops. Lots of nice young ladies about with us this evening. Uh, lots of nice records we've got. Now then, now then, now then, now then. Da, 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 da. Oh my goodness gracious, yes indeed, ladies and gentlemen, how about that? We have a letter here. Dear Jimmy, my special thing is that I would have licked to be a dog. Music maestro, if you please. He was bonkers, but he was good bonkers. You know, you don't get people like that anymore. Some might say it's a good thing, but I can't... Jim will fix it. We've all written to Jim will, to Jimmy, Jim will fix it, didn't we? We all wrote. I think I wanted to go and look in a police station. Boring one. My sister wanted to meet Adam Ant. Just didn't get it. Didn't get it. Although she met him a couple of years ago, and turns out he's, um, he's a nice lad. Anyway, over the years, Jimmy helped raise millions for Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire. Martin Kinch has been with Stoke Mandeville Hospital Radio since 1979. He's on the line now. Good morning, Martin. Hi there. How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. You've seen the catalogue of the items up for auction. What sort of stuff is being sold? Well, everything, really, from just like a Jim fix-it sticker right up to his, uh, you know, the famous Rolls Royce and the bubble cars and tracksuits, even the string vest, if anybody fancies one of Jim's string vests. Well, see, that makes me uncomfortable, Martin, that there's a string vest going up. <laughs> Have you got any um, Jimmy memorabilia yourself? Well, I've met him uh, quite a few times. I've been on TV with him, so I've got the signed pictures, I've got the video clips, and he even took me up to Radio 1 when he was on Radio 1 doing his show up there. And uh, with a few seconds to spare, he, he put me on air and I ended up to, like, co-presenting the show with him. Fantastic. There you go. So I've, got fond, I've got fond memories of him, really. When did you first meet him? Well, it was soon after I started at Soap Mandeville, really, because our studios were quite near his office, because he had an office there. Uh, he, he even had a room there where, where he slept, and um, we often used to pass in the corridor. We were both obviously very interested in radio and music, and he had some great stories to tell. And I spent many of pleasant uh, meetings with him in his office talking about music and 
Uh, I, I must admit, I was very fond of the guy. And, yeah. You know, when was the last uh, time? When was the last time you saw him? I saw him a couple of months before he became ill, mm. and we were talking about him. He was going to come on because I do a show at the hospital radio at St Mandeville, and he was going to come and do a show with me. And uh, unfortunately, that, that that never happened. But the last time I saw him, he was becoming a bit frail. And I remember walking away from him and thinking, you know, this isn't the, the Jimmy that I that I know. Tell uh, us a little bit about um, Stoke Mandeville Hospital Radio, Martin. Well, we started on air back in December 78, and within a, a couple of weeks of that happening, um, I joined the station, and um, I've been there ever since. We entertain hopefully the patients and the staff at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Jimmy wasn't actually anything to do with the radio station. A lot of people think he, he was, but he wasn't actually anything to do with it. Um, but um, yeah, we're still going strong. I've been there now for 33 years, and in fact I should be there later on today doing another show. Fantastic. Martin, excellent stuff. Thank you very much. I'm sure they're going to raise a fortune. Um, with uh, those uh, Jimmy Savile stuff that's up for, uh, up for sale. You can have a look online and you can find out all about it and put a bid in. Now, according to a survey out this morning, people aged 65 and over would prefer to be called grey panthers than old-age pensioners. The term OAP was deemed highly offensive. Justin Dealey has been out in Luton finding out what over-65s think. Now, Alison, you've got a real issue with the term OAP. Why OAP? Well, why, why not OAP? Well, elderly we are, but OAPs... Do they have to say OAP? Quite offensive to you, then. Well, yeah, exactly. And what about this term, Grey Panther? We're being told that... I've never heard of it. (laughs) I've never heard of it. Would that offend you, if I I called you a Grey Panther? Well, it depends which way you were looking at me. (laughs) I'll take your point. But but just lastly, do you think we have still got a problem in this country with ageist views? You're too young, you're too old. Age, at the end of the day, is just a number, isn't it? Well, I think so. I think so, and that's the attitude to have, I think. Age? What is age? It's how you feel. And if you're healthy, then that's fine. I can tell by your smile, you're still feeling good, aren't you? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. So, Sylvia, this term elderly, is that offensive to you? No. No, not at all. I had to ask you this morning, were you above the age of 65? You keep yourself very fit. Tell us more about that. Just keep exercising, go to the gym. How many times a week? Three. I've been three times in the last year... How bad does that make me? Very bad. <laughs> John, if somebody described you as elderly, how would you feel about that? Not very good at all. I wouldn't be very happy with that at all. Um, it's a sign of disrespect. I'm not sure if the term Grey Panther, though, is... It sounds a little bit creepy. Doesn't it? Or like some sort of terrorist organisation, possibly. Uh, time for a quick text. I would have paid £2,012 just to see Mike Oldfield and the National Health Service if I'd have known, says Marion and Hemel. I forgot Mike Oldfield was there. He kind of popped up and was, was sort of glossed over slightly, wasn't he? Bless him. I've just been talking to Jonathan. He's got a humdinger of a show coming up. He was just whispering in my ear what we can expect. And boy, oh boy, it sounds very, very exciting. Do stick around for a little bit of Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Thank you very much for all of your texts and your emails this morning. It's greatly appreciated. Tomorrow, why don't you pick up the phone and give me a call? We can have a little chitty chat on the phone. I will be back tomorrow at six o'clock with your breakfast show. Coming up next, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.